Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 374. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? And yes, I don't know how long it's been since Connor's been here. Although, Who? good question, Matt. Good question. Excellent callback. Uh, but uh, all goes to plan. He should be here with us next week. So if, you, if you're missing the ginger for some reason, uh, he will be making his... Is it triumphant? Well, I was trying to think what the opposite of triumphant is. Yeah. Remember when I called him the CM Punk of this show? <laughs> hey, Connor didn't even get fired. He's just not here. Hey, hey it doesn't mean he won't. Yeah, true. Yet. <laughs> so big, yeah. But yes, welcome everyone. It's the DC Comics podcast. We get together and we talk about the DC Comics we read this week. And it was a pretty busy week for 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 comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up on today's show, we have Wonder Woman issue one. We have Superman issue six. Nightwing one oh six. We have Green Lantern War Journal issue 1, Batman Superman World's Finest 18, Titans issue 3, Matt Red Hot Girl issue 3, we got the mm-hmm. visual issue 4, and catching up from last week, because it came out on Batman Day, at least digitally anyway, so it was mm-hmm. it was hard to get to in time, we'll also be looking at Batman Gargoyle of Gotham issue 1. So that is what's coming up on the show this week. Now, uh, for those of you eagle-eyed... Uh, who might be wondering, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you not going to read Catwoman to keep up to date with the Gotham War? Um, I was. I kind of... So I probably would have read it for this week, but I forgot. I kind of just skipped it because I'm used to skipping Catwoman. And then I realized like an hour ago, oh wait, it's the next part of the Gotham War thing. I probably should have tried to squeeze that in. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave it, probably not even till next week. I'll probably leave it to the week after because that's the week that Batman comes out. And I have, like, three books that week. So, whereas next week's still quite, you know, they're not super busy, but it's, 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 uh, you know, comparable to this week. So. So, are you planning on reading the Red Hood tie-in or no? Uh, that's next week. I am not. Okay. <laughs> to be blunt Just about it. Sure. Just making sure. Just making sure. If they're coming out, like, chapters, I didn't want you to feel like you're missing out on the gotham war i'm assuming that isn't a chapter and it's just a tie-in that said though if it gets to the end of the catwoman book and it says to be continued then the red hood one shot i will make a decision that week <laughs> but i have no interest in catching up for it next week i'll tell you i'll tell you that right now gotcha. so, yeah so i'll if i if i have to do some catch it up for the next batman issue that's fine because it's on a week where i have three books so <laughs> that's okay uh patreon book that week as well i imagine if not both so Yes, so yeah, we, we have a healthy list of books, we got a couple of issue ones, lots to talk about, lots to get into, not really any news to speak of, it's all quiet mm-hmm. on the news front, uh, but not to worry Matt, because there's one thing that will always be here, even long after we're both dead, somehow it'll still <clears throat> exist. Hopefully. And that is of course the Comixology Top 10. So we're going to look at what the current ranking is on Comixology as uh, for for Tuesday and for Wednesday, because uh, they separate them by days. So Tuesday's DC day, of course, so that's the one that's more interesting to us. But mm-hmm. we'll have a, have a have a look. So what do you think number one was as of right now on Comixology? I, huh? I'm going to guess that number one is a new number one, and that's going to be Wonder Woman. You'd be correct. That's number one. Mm-hmm. It's that easy. That's mm-hmm. simple. Uh, number two is Titans. Mm-hmm. Number three is Nightwing, so Tom Taylor uh, selling well there. Mm-hmm. Uh, four is Superman. 
Five is World's Finest. Six is Catwoman, which is a big boost from normal because we, we, you know, yeah. if, you, if you look back at what we've said about Catwoman in these charts for the last several months, it's been shockingly low on mm -hmm. these charts. And we always theorize that the variants help the physical version, but mm -hmm. the digital version doesn't seem to do that well. So that's a big boost because of the crossover. Uh, number seven is Green Lantern War Journal issue one. Number eight is Batman White Knight Presents, whatever the thing, Generation Joker. Is the mm -hmm. one that's on. Uh, number nine is Hot Girl, and number ten is Cyborg. Uh, so there you go. Um, mm. I'm a little sad that the vigil is number twelve because yes. it's one under a trade, under a collection. So it didn't even like stay with all the other singles, which is a bit of a shame because it's 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 a good book. But yeah, I'm wondering if people are just waiting now for it to, to come out and trade. Um, because we're 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 nearing the end, right? At six issues. Yeah, I think that's yeah. optimistic, though. I'm more inclined to think that most people just don't know it exists because it's not called Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, mm. Green Lantern, or The Flash. Maybe. That's my cynical take, is that because it's got a name that they don't recognize, it just kind of gets ignored, and mm -hmm. there it is. Not by everyone, of course, but, right. but by the, the masses, clearly. So... Uh, there you go. That's the that's the thing. Because we've we've seen you know Tom Taylor's name rise and cred. Mm -hmm. Same with Tom King. I, I would like Ram V to get to that stage that his name alone would get something selling, and hopefully yeah. we'll get there. But uh, I don't think it's quite there just yet. But hmm. uh, hell, hell, they top ten. Uh, all things considered, though, more books out this week for a start, which usually helps. Um, Wednesday's books. Let's see if you can. Give give me a, a guess I for have, number one. I've I've narrowed down to either an independent or a Marvel book. <laughs> so <laughs> those I, are the only options. <laughs> well, what I mean is by like uh, I, I should have said image, not independent. Okay. And and an image book. Um, I'm going with X Men Annual One. Uh, that is incorrect. No. Okay, so then is it Saga sixty six? Nope. What? <laughs> oh, Leo Comic Geeks, what are we doing? What's so funny is that you just gave me uh, the number 10 and number 9 spots, respectively. <laughs> really? Yeah. All right, uh, how about Dark X-Men? Nope. Jeez. Oh, wow. I don't even know where to begin now, because now I'm scrolling a lot. Um, <laughs> is it Wolverine? Nope. Uncanny Spider-Man. Nope. <laughs> Shoot. Spider-Man with a tail, so I figured, man, all right, I give up. What is it? Uncanny Avengers issue two. Where's that? Oh. Uh. Oh, man, it's it's in the third row. So on, on Leo Comic Geeks, it's coming in at 10. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's, it's so, worse, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this was something they did like a decade ago when they were doing whole... We're mixing was, up Avengers and X-Men, so they're doing it again, apparently. Yeah, and that Reminder run was really good. Uh, they did stuff with Apocalypse and, um, you know, so... Who's writing this one? Jerry Duggan, by the looks of it. It's Duggan, yeah. So, number two is Uncanny Spider-Man. Okay. Number three is Dark X-Men. Uh, number four is Captain America, issue one. This is GMS doing Captain America. I even realized oh. this was a thing. Oh boy, is he going to start walking whenever we're going to hit the end of it? <laughs> I love how, I mean, I guess it's relevant because you're referencing when he wrote some Superman. Mm -hmm. 
but uh, most people probably know him from comic books from his spider-man run and from the rest of entertainment from the fact that he created and wrote most of babylon 5 but yeah <laughs> but matt uh, still still got that two trade run <laughs> of superman yeah and then and only like out of those two you know let, let's say there's 10 issues in the trades i think only like seven of them are him uh, it was uh you know there's a lot of potential he also wrote one of my favorite thor runs uh, when he oh, brought Florida yeah. from Ragnarok. So, uh, moved it to Oklahoma and all that fun stuff. Moved Asgard, that is. So, so yeah, him, I did not realize. So, I didn't make it into the shop this week, so all my books were, were digital because I had some car troubles. Um, so, uh, usually I can kind of look at what my shop has ordered as well. I uh, did not even realize that there's a new Captain America book out. Yeah, well, number five, I don't know if you realized this was out, but Predator mm-hmm. versus Wolverine. It's right next to Captain America on League of Comic Geeks. Mm. Yep, issue one. $8 is, issue one as well. Is this uh, Percy? It is Percy. <laughs> hey, let's go. I might have to pick that up. $8 is a little much. Maybe I'll wait for a sale. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I'm noticing, though, they've got this 20th Century Studios banner mm-hmm. uh, for these things that are, you know, Alien, Predator, so on. Yeah. Uh, number six is Amazing Spider-Man. Really, Predator vs. Wolverine's outselling Amazing huh? Spider-Man digitally. That's kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Alpha Flight at number seven. Number eight is the regular Wolverine book. So Predator vs. Wolverine actually uh, wow. is bumped over the regular one. Nine is Saga, and ten is X-Men Annual, issue one. So there you go. Yep. Who is on Alpha Flight? That's what I need to know. Ed Brisson. Ed Brisson, all right. Yeah, not one of the more exciting yeah. names you no. see on books, but it is what it is. So, hey, uh, what was that on your Turtles issue this week? I oh, show 143. I'm impressed they've kept that going since 2011. Yeah, right. Numbering keeps just... going. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, alternatively, Spawn issue 345 was out this week. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I respect that that's kept its numbering for... Mm-hmm. You know, decades. That's, that's nice. So yeah. anyway, there you go. That's the Comic Soldier Top 10. Uh, so, cool. Uh, I mean, we'll just get straight into books, I think, because we got a lot of books to go through uh, yeah. and a time we have to be done by today. So, And, and uh, there, there's some pretty meaty ones. So There, there is indeed some know. pretty meaty ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to start off, of course, with Wonder Woman issue one mm-hmm. or legacy numbering 801. I appreciate that on the cover. Yeah. Uh, they should be doing that for all the books that could be mm-hmm. using it. Uh, but this is Tom King writing with Daniel <laughs> Sempier on the art. So uh, obviously this was announced a while ago. There's been a bit of mm-hmm. buzz building up to it. And it was kind of exciting because, you know, Tom King's been doing all these miniseries and he's basically become one of our most excited and spoken about writers on the show uh, yes. over the last few <clears throat> years. But he's not really been doing any ongoings and hasn't really since Batman. It's just not been his thing. He's been doing other stuff. So this was interesting to see, okay, what's he going to do with a completely different character, new ongoing book, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this first issue was basically phenomenal. I don't know how you feel, Matt. Take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Um, to balance, again, what is what deal did Tom King make? To keep working with all these fantastic artists. I don't know. He's, he's got Trigon in his back pocket or something. He must, because Sam Peer, like, fan of his from working with Tom Taylor, is on Suicide Squad, right? 
Uh, that uh-huh. sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, St. Peter's work on this book, there's a lot of quiet moments uh, balanced with a lot of frenetic action moments, and it's balanced so well. Like, King is, I don't know how King writes, but I don't know if he writes with the artist in mind and kind of leans into their strengths, or or these, you know, artists just play into Tom King's strengths, but this this was so well balanced, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like, I, I can't really think of a Tom King book that has like a zany like layout style. He always tends to mm-hmm. have pretty straightforward kind of mm-hmm. good, solid, just, you know, nine panel grids and simple layouts. Mm-hmm. But I think, I wonder if in some ways it kind of helps the artist focus less on like being flashy and more just like uh-huh. the, the raw fundamentals of the storytelling. And it well, almost elevates it in a way. And then when it's like, it's Garrett's and King, they know each other so well at this point. The Garrett's can add a bit of flash to it, and then that makes it stand out from the typical uh, nine-panel and you know six-panel type stuff. Yeah, um, well, and not to say it's a nine-panel, but the first page yeah. is it's effectively a nine-panel grid, but the, the bottom three are one panel, so it's like yep. a seven-panel grid, I guess. Mm-hmm. If you want to put it that way. Yeah, uh, and just a lot of the art, like um, the the art when the action gets going, right? Like we, it opens up and it's got this uh, Amazon in this little dusty town. Uh, and when the action kicks in, right, we get the big splash page, you know, and everything just pops around it. So, yeah, I definitely say the art's a, a highlight here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the art's great, but it's not even the first thing that I took away from this book because mm-hmm. it... <sighs> There's so many books that try to put in political commentary into their comics, mm-hmm. right? There's so many comics that'll try and talk about ongoing things and subjects that the the writer feels important to talk about and so much of it can come off as feeling a little bit heavy-handed or a little bit forced and i think what's so impressive about this issue is that it it pulls in two huge political topics and does it in a way that it feels like no this is just what the story's about so nothing feels it's not like we're doing another story and it's forcing some metaphor into it it directly turns the amazons living in the u.s into immigrants that the country wants rid of um mm-hmm. as well as of course dealing with all the sexism that's buried on top of that so mm-hmm. th- so the plot of this book right, for anyone who's me to kind of explain this is that the opening is we're in a dive bar in this amazonian woman mm-hmm. who we don't really know i mean maybe right. i mean maybe as a character from like the past or whatever but i don't think mm-hmm. i mean i don't know who she is but it's this blonde Amazon who gets groped by some idiots in this bar and she right. protects herself and fights back and then all the guys in the bar start attacking her and we find out quickly after, you know, there's a great page where it's like just the, looking at the windows mm-hmm. uh, outside the bar, but you see blood getting smeared across the, the glass. So it's like... A splatter. Yeah. She's not just beating yeah. them up. Like, she, she is no. mauling them and... We get the kind of the, the almost traditional page of comic books where it's all the news reports, like all the newscasters mm-hmm. talking about what this event was and like 17 men have been found dead. The only two women who were in the bar were not killed. So what, and what's so smart about this nine panel grid of all these newscasters is that it, it goes through a, a period of time where the story is evolving between each panel. It's not all just like, because I feel like typically when a comic book does this, it'll be the same news show and it'll be two newscasters talking to mm-hmm. each other and it'll go backwards and forwards, maybe debating. 
here it's like no, no we're jumping ahead in time with each one so by the time you get to yep. the bottom of the page you've actually gotten quite a lot of uh development in the story because right it goes from being okay nine, 17 or was it 19 whatever it was men were killed and then a couple panels there it's like oh and the authorities are saying they're looking for her this is a woman who did mm-hmm. this and then it becomes clear she's she's an amazon and then it becomes clear this and this issue then becomes about how the country turns on the Amazons and wants to deport them and hunt after them because they basically see this as a terrorist attack that they have to respond to. And it basically raises, and we see like people on the news turning the opinion against Amazons. And bizarrely, the smartest thing this book does is that it leaves Wonder Woman out of it for like two-thirds of the issue. Mm-hmm. Like, it, she's unseen. There's a narrator who does mention her, not by name, but sort of, like, you can tell that he's talking, whoever this is is clearly talking about Wonder mm-hmm. Woman, like, when she's going to get involved, when she's doing stuff. Um, But we're introduced to the guy, uh, was it Sergeant Steele? Sarge, Sarge Steele. So I did a deep dive on him, and he's an actual old Charlton comics Oh, I character. believe it, because there's one line in here about him mm-hmm. feeling wronged, uh yep. during a uh, amazon's attack storyline yep. and i'm like okay this is an old character that king's gonna yep. you know dive and deep into i was getting i was getting like this feels like king faraday because it it made it sound like he was a counterpart to waller right like him and waller have a lot of overlap but waller seems like she's better at getting the right people on her side than he is um so doing a deep dive into it um uh yeah king faraday debuted in the same issue sarge steel did Right for DC because uh, mm. they they redid him. So, uh, but he's always been a thorn in the side uh, for the government. Right, he's never like an out and out villain, but he's definitely representative of that bureaucratic. You know, the government doesn't trust superheroes. Uh, all the way back to the Charlton comic days, which you can kind of see in uh, like Watchmen, right? Because those were all based off of those characters. Um, so King using him is a very smart. You know, it's kind of this foil for Wonder Woman because it does. It feels like there's something personal here for Sarge Steel to round up all these Amazons. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it, but it, it, I think it works really well, though, because like, he is introduced here as if he is a new character in the sense that mm-hmm. I don't think you need to know who he is. The nope. book does a good job. It gives him this big introduction where he assassinates these two these two guys, it's just his job. We see that he's got these mm-hmm. like robotic hands that fire bullets, basically. Mm-hmm. Which sounds silly when you say it out loud, but it it, right. it feels sinister in the scene. It's it's very it's very sixties spy type stuff because yes. it's it's a it's a gun hand, for lack of a better term. And he's just very point blank about it, where he's like, you know, I was supposed to be doing something else, but time's of the essence, and just you know, finishes the job, um, which again tells how good he is at his job. Yeah, and it sets up that he has connections, that he basically just mm-hmm. hands the guy who works at this restaurant where he's committed these murders a card, and it's like, hey, mm-hmm. give this to the authorities when they arrive, and they'll just clean everything up, and it'll mm-hmm. everything will be fine. It, it gives you this sense of power. And there's a page after this which shows you, and you get the sense that this is Diana talking to Steve, but you never see them. They're just kind of yep. in silhouette, and they're mm-hmm. they're walking next to the Washington Monument. It's a really uh, pretty page. Um but this idea that the, the the opinions are turning. So the next page after that is this politician talking about uh, how, yeah, my daughter loves Wonder Woman, but let's be real. These Amazons, they aren't American. They come from an island where there's no men, and they call that paradise. That's not equality. And he's just, like, churning all this it, stuff. And I believe I've heard 
like people when they bring up Wonder Woman say these same things, right? So this is something that is in the public consciousness, for better or for worse. So for King to have like this politician character parodying that type of stuff too, it adds another layer. You know, it kind of kind of breaks the like it, it brings the real world into comics, right? Well, I mean that's that's what I started this whole thing by saying <clears throat> is that it brings these real world like issues mm-hmm. and makes them a fundamental part of the story where it's that itself is the story it's turning wonder woman as someone if not the american public at least the the government body of the the american country is going Mm -hmm. to rally against Uh, and you've got these people spouting on news programs about how she's a threat or about how at least amazons are a threat Mm -hmm. and then we see this whole scene where sarge Steele goes to an amazon's house and says you're being deported like, you and your whole family, right? Yeah. Including her wife and their child, who are both American. Well, right? actually, well, no, no, no. But both wives are Amazons, and okay. they, and they said they're not deporting the child. The child's going to a, a like a detention center because the yeah. parents, the kid's not going with them. All right. So I so I read that as the 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 lady, the wife was a wasn't an Amazon. She was they had met, but I might have misread that. No, I, um, I think I think they both are. Yeah, I think they just okay. say that uh, the daughter was born here, so she's an American okay. citizen. But uh, both both uh, moms aren't. Um, and the, the the basically the one who's talking to them out the front, the other one gets suited up in Wonder Woman like mm-hmm. gear in the back and comes out try to fight them. But they're, they're mm-hmm. prepared. They they, sh- they kill her in front of the house, and it's this really dark scene. And the, the it's, kid it's... The, the kid comes running out and is crying her eyes out. It's a whole. Yeah, it's super brutal, too, because it's just a hail of, of you know, gunfire. Um, and is this is where we realize that the – is this where he talks about that they've made, uh, you know, like, like the bullets are different? Or is that when he's yeah, talking no, to one woman No, later? it says that here, yeah. They've, yeah. Made, they've made bullets to go through Amazon Steel or whatever right. it is. So – and then you get – again, you get this, like, senator who's on the news. And this, the newscaster's actually challenging him and saying, hey – you're you're taking people away. You're tearing up families. You're doing all, and yeah, you can. I'm mm-hmm. just you can imagine hearing this about regular immigrants in the real world. The way he's talking, and the senator, whoever it is, is just like, mm-hmm. oh no, like you know, like but they have to obey the laws, and these are the laws. We have to draw a line. No one wants to force a family mm-hmm. out, but this is the truth of it. And so you know, it's, it's, and we get like some panels here showing that, yeah, there's other examples where they've had to kill some Amazons. Like this is not yeah. just a one-time incident. Uh, th- this is pretty monstrous, whatever it is they're well, doing. And all of these soldiers are faceless on top of it too, right? They were in the black block, yeah, you know, the goggles, the helmets, and they're all, you know, they're just soldiers. They're all right? SWAT compared, gear. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to the Amazons who, who, you know, there is a difference between them. Right. So, so, uh, this whole time yeah. you're thinking, okay, but what's what's Wonder Woman's reaction to all this? Like we're sort mm-hmm. of operating this without with barely mentioning her, and we go to Themyscira and uh, Nubia is, mm-hmm. is sort of being informed uh, of like you know everyone's coming back to the island, blah blah blah, and this other Amazon says, hey, Diana gave me her sword, and she says the reason why she she gave me this is because, and what she must now do. Uh, she has to avoid temptation. And it's basically this idea, you know, it sort of like builds up the mm-hmm. hype of, okay, Diana's going to respond to everything that's going on and she's trying to make sure, you know, this is basically saying, 
this is pissing me off and I don't want to like be tempted to like stab someone. Yeah. <laughs> if I have a sword, I'm going to use the sword. So here's yeah. my sword. So yeah. it's all been building up to this great scene where we're at the uh, the cemetery where mm-hmm. the victims of the opening scene. Because that's the, that's the thing mm-hmm. in all this. Like I think you have to remember here, and this was in my mind as I was reading this, yeah. is that, yeah, there is, there's an Amazon woman who did murder 17 people mm-hmm. and is out there at large and yeah, that she probably should be taken in because she can't go around just killing people willy-nilly. True, true. But it, it's all about the escalation of the response, right? Oh, no, no, that, I know, I know. But I'm, I'm yeah. saying she's still, like, they're not even paying attention to her. They're yeah. not looking for her. They're just prosecuting everyone who's Amazon instead of right. looking for the actual murderer. Right. That's what I'm talking about, the escalation, right? Is that they're just using this as an excuse to round them up. They don't. It's almost as if she doesn't matter. That the inciting incident doesn't actually matter. That just gave them the permission. What, what, which to... is what, what I like about this scene, because when they, they so they move up towards Wonder Woman, and you don't see her, right? They sort of still mm-hmm. just sort of focus on the soldiers. You see her blurry mm-hmm. in the, like the sniper sights, and when the sniper takes the shot, you get the full page spread of her, you know, ricocheting the bullet with her bracelet. Uh-huh. Gorgeous yep. full page, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Is you know you've you with... waited two thirds of the issue to get to the to actually see Wonder Woman. And it's mm-hmm. a big, big moment. They really sell it. And so she she has the doves around her too, uh, to go with all the snow, right? Um, and it's just it's a real striking image because she's standing out with all the color uh, on this white background uh, with the snow on the headstones and whatnot. It looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's all just shades of white, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's obviously popping with the blue and the red and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, why? This scene... Though, like Wonder Woman herself is who brings this up. Like since that, since the newscast basically on like page four, whatever that was, mm-hmm. like the actual murderer has barely been mentioned. Right? It's it's all been mm-hmm. just what they're using it in politics to like drive people out and away from the country. And Diana's like, I'm here because I have to find who who killed these people. Like I'm going to find her. Like I, this actually is important to to stop whoever this is. So we get this big action scene here. Diana is using her lasso against the SWAT team. Uh, she throws her tiara at one point. It's uh, you know it's it's really fun and obviously because the book has largely been you know more slow build up. This is the first time mm-hmm. you really get like a full on action sequence and the narration because this is the, th- the other thing about the issue is that you don't know who's narrating it the whole time. It's not until the very end of the and I was I was trying to think you know I was like me too who, who is this who is talking mm-hmm. here. And she eventually, and yeah, that that towards the end of the fight, when you get that panel of her punching the SWAT team guy in the face, and mm-hmm. you see like, the glass shattering from his goggles, it's beautiful yeah. stuff. But uh, she has a lasso, of course, right? And she she wants the truth, so she grabs like one of the SWAT team guys in her lasso, and you know, basically, mm-hmm. you know, asks some questions. Um, because immediately Sarge steals like, hey, no, we were just defending ourselves. You attacked us. So she lasts mm-hmm. the SWAT team guys goes, hey, was I attacking you when you started shooting at me? And he's like, nope, I just followed orders to, to yeah. line up the shot and well, pull the trigger. Yeah, so she she grabs a sniper dude from the tree, right? And that's the one that she's interrogating. Um, and I, I also love how she drags him over with the lasso. So she's, her and Steel are in the same spot. But as as you go down the page... He gets closer. Um, so that added for a fun little late moment as well. 
Yeah, yeah. As you're going down the page, like yeah, he's been dragged mm -hmm. across the snow. Um, yeah. And I think what's so effective about all this, and what makes it feel so cathartic, that she does just tear them apart. And mm -hmm. you know, at the very end, she literally crushes his robot hand. You know, steals yep. robot hand. Um, is that throughout the issue, it feels like there is nothing stopping you know the the forces in the government, Sarge Steele and the politicians that support him or or, or have employed mm -hmm. him even, like. They are getting away with this. They are turning public opinion. They are sowing these seeds of doubt. They are murdering Amazons in their homes. They're deporting the ones that they, they don't fight. And it feels like they're getting away with this. And then you get to this point where he tries to encounter Wonder Woman and it's very cathartic that she turns around and beats the piss out of them. And mm -hmm. it's like, this is where it stops. This is where the line stops, where we have some hope because she is going to try and solve this then the odds seem insurmountable because yeah like all these ideas are already being spread but it's like mm -hmm. no she is not going back to paradise island she is going to stay here and she is going to fight this head on for better mm -hmm. or for worse probably better but i imagine yeah. well, I, you, you would hope i imagine yeah. it'll get worse before it gets better yes. just because storytelling yeah. tends to go that way but mm -hmm. uh it's uh it's very good so all very good um so and then yeah, so they officially make Wonder Woman like a like a fugitive. Like there's a warrant mm -hmm. out for arrest, and we see people reacting to this where they're like, "No way!" Yeah. Like Wonder Woman's a hero. Um, this is all a bunch of nonsense. Mm -hmm. And we see like a, a mirror of the earlier page where it's Steve and Diana next to the mm -hmm. Washington Monument, but now it's on the other side of the water, and they're having another conversation. And Diana's like, "Yeah, still." you know, didn't really know a whole lot other than that there's someone that hired him that he doesn't know. It's someone mysterious that mm -hmm. keeps his identity a secret, blah, blah, blah. I think mm -hmm. the more interesting thing for me in this scene, though, is this idea that she even sort of prods Steve, like, you know, he's one of your colleagues because he's in the military. Mm -hmm. And he's mm -hmm. like, look, I could get court-martialed for even talking to you. You're a wanted fugitive yes. right now. <laughs> well, it's like one of those things, too. He says, oh, yeah, so when you said your man, you meant, yeah, right, subtle. Uh, and so he goes, you know, not every soldier, not every soldier is every soldier. Any idea how many court marshals I can get just for this walk? Right. So he, that's even throwing the line in there that like, yes, whilst, you know, Trevor's still a soldier, right. He's putting a lot on the line to come and, you know, walk with her, if yeah. you will. Yeah. It's uh, the end of this page where she says, have you ever heard of the sovereign? And then that leads us into her ending, which mm -hmm. is the reveal of who the villain of this right now is. Um, so we still have, so this is the thing, we still have this, this Amazon who killed 17 mm -hmm. men at the start of the issue, who's still out there, clearly has some anger issues that need to be addressed, mm -hmm. uh, but we're introduced to the Sovereign, who's the one who's, like, playing the chess pieces and, like, turning the public opinion against yep. everyone. And we see he's got a butler, he's got a crown, which goes with the name of Sovereign, uh, yep. and it turns out that he has the lasso of lies, and he's this old mm -hmm. dude um who's been around for <laughs> quite some time you know, uh, it, it's super nationalistic and i do not like it and i feel that that's the intent right oh yeah um, no i i love it because it is fundamentally mm -hmm. tom king here has got a villain who the entire point is manipulating the opinion of a country mm -hmm. and playing the, the the politics game which given that wonder woman's always been tied to washington does actually uh -huh. make sense to do a story like this uh yeah. and plus on top of that the literal the lasso of lies versus the lasso of truth it's mm -hmm. this idea of manipulation versus what she believes in so like 
as far as mission statements go, this was an incredible first issue because yes. it was like, okay, it's establishing a tone, it's establishing the key politics and themes that we're going to be playing with. It tells it in a really engrossing way where you're building up to the reveal of Wonder Woman and what she and how she's going to react to this because it's all pertinent to her, but we're kind of like intentionally avoiding her for a lot of the issue. I thought that was very effective because mm-hmm. uh, it felt like a big deal when we see her and then when she kicks the shit out of all those assholes, it's like, yeah, yeah great you know, kick this shit out of ice. I mean, the anti-Amazon uh, I, squad. They're called Axe, too, so it's the same kind of three-letter. Three yeah, sure, they're called um, Axe. I forgot that. You're right. right. Yeah. yeah, so uh, the thing with the Sovereign, too, is they at the top of the page it says it's, you know, it's not our name but our title. It's been handed down, right? And it goes back into American history and that, you know, even before what we have recorded as American history, that that's where the lasso of lies was found. So it's even going into this more, you know, stuff that's in the headlines now about, you know, what is actual history and, you know, mm. what's being taught and what are those lies. Yeah, I was I was a little <laughs> unclear, too, in that whole, like, mm-hmm. uh, it being passed down thing. I was yep. a little unclear if it was literally just, like, a, you know, a family line of father to son mm-hmm. to son to son, or mm-hmm. if it was more, like there's a whole group of people who are the sovereign and it's mm-hmm. passed down just from group to group i mean the fact that there's a final page with one character right. wearing this crown would imply it is right. just one person at a time but mm-hmm. the way it read to me felt like oh maybe there's a bit of wiggle room here where there might actually be like a you know a group because he said because i guess the way he said we are the sovereign it made me think well he says that and he says are a lot too so yeah. he's even if he's just the sovereign the fact that he is talking about it like there are more than one Right. Like there's this is a big, you know, almost a group effort. Or if that's what he's talking about, like, uh, you know, the whole lasso of lies and what it's capable of. Right. If it's about, you know, persuasion and turning people's mind. Now they're on the side of the sovereign. Um, And just what that means, too. And and in a lot of the modern day politics that Tom King's wading into here, just this whole idea of a sovereign, quote unquote, king of America you know what I mean? Like, this is a very pointed attack at certain types of people, uh, and I'm here for it, right? And especially with Tom King's, um, you know, he was a CIA guy, right? Who knows what he did, um, <laughs> and who knows what he saw, right? Like, so, uh, you know, I don't know what type of CIA work he did, and usually that's not in the country, right? CIA is usually international, but shoot. Yeah, it's uh, usually I'm sure. a, yeah. See, because the way I always remember it is the FBI yeah. is about investigating stuff internally, right. and the CIA is more right. about investigating threats coming from outside. Right, and so you know the whole idea that the call is coming from inside the house here, coming from that perspective of they're they're trying to kick out people out of the country while the threat is actually internal. Yeah, that, I feel you know. Yeah, I feel like. Uh, you know, for anyone who works at an organization like that, like King did, mm-hmm. I think if if, if mm-hmm. you have critical thinking, if you have your beliefs and opinions, mm-hmm. and you maybe see how like narratives are being spread and like the orders you're getting mm-hmm. and like what you're focused to target and things like that, like I wonder if a lot of the reason why these themes do come up in his book, and especially with this, because he's directly talking about manipulation mm-hmm. of the the masses of the public to gear the direction of the country. I have to imagine that his views on this do stem somewhat from maybe some of the the you know I always say missions like he was at you know an operative going right. on missions. I just stuff mean he, you know yeah his his work experience like some yeah. of the stuff he was seeing that left an imprint on him because I felt the same about Rorschach and a lot of the political stuff there 
you know, about, you know, the, the when when Rorschach kills or, or tries to kill the guy that's running for president and a lot of the stuff that he was saying, that felt very informed from like a, a real place that King, you know, has encountered some of this stuff. And, and similar here, when we got to that page and it's this old dusty man sitting with a crown on his head, I was like, oh, okay, this is, and it's also something new. Um, not in the idea of like a brand new character or anything like that, but it doesn't feel like this is territory that Wonder Woman has tread on, you know, uh, like you were talking about. She's in Washington. It's usually we play with the mythologies and, uh, I mean, know, I think or, thematically it's kind of been done in the sense that, you know, you've got the idea that Ares is whispering lies mm-hmm. into ears and things, but the, I right. feel like this is veering more towards more, sure, yeah, we've got this old guy who's got the lasso of lies, mm-hmm. but it's been used as a as a sort of extension of like more real world like lies right. and manipulation and propaganda mm-hmm. and trying to make the people hate a, a group and say it's their fault that we have this yep. problem which you know that's something hitler also did just uh yeah. fyi this Dic- is... dictators and fascists all across the globe do the same thing they find the concept of the other yep. and everything is the other's fault uh and and the reason it's so effective is because People want to be part of a group and they want to go against someone else, right? That's why sports is the way it is and all this other stuff. But it really takes an evil person to turn someone against someone else and blame all your problems. Uh, so, yeah. And just I think Wonder Woman, in, in a way that, you know, we can have Superman and Batman encounter these themes. But, they're, you know, the whole idea of, of Wonder Woman as this symbol of, of truth and virtue it feels perfect right. for her. It feels, mm-hmm. you know, this is a story that he's written intentionally to play to the strengths and themes of the character. Right. And I think, you know, uh, I think this could end up, you know, if, if the quality holds up, I've only had one issue. It's hard to say yeah. right now, like, how important this run will be when it's mm-hmm. all done. It could fizzle out. His Batman run did fizzle out. Mm-hmm. So, there's, you know, there's possibilities of that. Yeah. But at least from this first issue, like, there, there is a chance here that this could be a very important run for the characters you know in terms of defining her relevance in the modern day world and kind of mm-hmm. what she stands against you're saying she's you know she, we're specifically yeah. saying this is the character that stands against this type of behavior this type of mm-hmm. manipulation and i think that could be quite powerful you know because i think you know uh, the other characters stand for something as well that you can easily translate mm-hmm. into the world superman is very much you know he i mean he's also an immigrant but he's mm-hmm. very much this idea of uh compassion of mm-hmm. you know being good even when it's easy to be bad and like the strength yeah. it takes to to have that um batman's about using your resources and getting over uh-huh. trauma and all these other things you know like, they all have their things that the, right. the writers it's, play on it's what morrison always said about that that superheroes are the modern pantheon of the gods right mm. and each of them represents something different and and here you know, we, we've had, you know, one woman actually involved in pantheons, but she is always never really like in, in pop culture. She's a lot more malleable here. I feel like King is very much pointed. You know, this is what my one woman represents. This is where her spot is in that new pantheon. Um, and it feels kind of similar to that Rucka run where Rucka made her, you know, back back in the day you know, um, before the new 52 and, uh, flashpoint and all that stuff. It was, she was a diplomat, right. And she tried to handle things peacefully. She wasn't this warrior princess. Uh, and that was Rucka's point of view. So even one issue in, I feel like we already have a pretty good handle on King's 
uh, handle on her. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really couldn't have asked for a better first mm-hmm. issue, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I, I was excited, but like I, I, I think because like his last ongoing book did fuzzle out, I wasn't letting myself get particularly hyped for mm-hmm. it. Uh, but yeah. it kind of just like right from the get-go, that opening scene just grabs your attention, and it's like, okay, an Amazon murdered people. That's a great, insane mm-hmm. incident. And the only thing really going against it is that part of my brain the whole time was like, oh, when's the daughter showing up? And she doesn't because clearly no. that's something we're getting to later. That's not an issue yep. one thing, and that's right. fine. Well, because I almost uh, expected like a backup of Trinity and stuff, mm. and then when it didn't happen, like I wasn't disappointed, but I was like, okay, so he clearly has a plan, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, this, this feels like something with a long-term like yep. idea in mind. Um, so yeah, this was a longer issue, by the way. This was like forty pages. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if it's going to stay this length, but it'll have a backup next month instead. Right. Um, or just the regular size main story because mm-hmm. this was like you know, at least thir- forty pages, right? Well, thirty pages of actual yeah. story. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, um, I think all the page counts are inflated this week because they all have that four or five page preview for Godzilla Kong, Kong at the yeah. end. So uh, yeah, they're all inflated by a few. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there you go. That is uh, Wonder Woman issue one. Matt, what are you rating the book? I'm going to 9.5. <laughs> Straight in there, eh? <laughs> Boom. Yeah, uh, honestly, I find it hard to disagree with that. I think it's an exceptional first issue. Uh, and the art is, as mentioned, phenomenal the way it uses you know the fact that the entire first fight with wonder woman is in the snowy setting like you say makes mm-hmm. all the colors pop um, i think this old guy the sovereign at the end looks just dastardly and villainous the way he's sitting there with that skull mm-hmm. and you've got the golden eagle above him so it's like oh he is the worst of america just yep. personified <laughs> okay um excellent so i agree 9.5 let's mm-hmm. do it let's do it all right Superman issue six, Joshua Williamson writing with Gleb Melnikov on the mm-hmm. art. So you know, Williamson Superman's been a little up and down, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's been some promising ideas. Uh, the cliffhanger from the last issue was very good, which was that Superman's super hearing was nullified mm-hmm. for a bit. It was nothing permanent, but it was nullified, mm-hmm. and Lex Luthor is shanked in prison during this time, and it left us on this moment where Lex was begging Superman for help but he never came, which is a, a really interesting mm-hmm. thing because it's like, oh, maybe, you know, Lex is going to take that personally. <laughs> you know, it's going to look bad <laughs> going forward. He, he becomes the Michael Jordan meme. <laughs> <laughs> I took that. There's two Michael Jordan memes that I know. Uh, I uh-huh. took that personally and F them kids. Uh-huh. I don't know where the F them kids comes from, but it's funny every I, time I see it. I don't know either, but it, it's become a life motto of mine, of, of yeah. TK. Any, anytime me and my wife see like a kid acting out of line somewhere, we're just like, man, <laughs> FTK. Glad we don't have any of our own. Uh, so, yeah, the issue starts with Lex being taken to the hospital, and the doctors, one of the doctors, like, should we bother? <laughs> He's Lex Luthor. Yeah. Should we just. Look, we, we talk about how so much. Sometimes the Williamson books are kind of a mess thematically and uh, tonally. I, I'm here for the doctors wondering if we should save Lex, right? I, I like the little bits of, of humor he's throwing in here um, because, you know, of course, in a Superman book, we're going to want, you know, them to help Lex. So that's what Superman would want. But just the idea that it's there, I think. Yeah, funny. I mean, I like this page just because it was a nice, like, instant, like, mm-hmm. sort of recap. Like, oh, yeah, I, I instantly remember how yep. the last one ending, though. Very mm-hmm. good. You've got me back in the swing of things. 
so um yeah so so superman's flying about we see him deal with some 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 van with criminals firing bullets whole thing uh, but it establishes that he's got stuff on his mind because he's not stopping for the friendly chat that he normally does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get this great page of everyone badgering Lois for decisions on things at the Daily Planet. And she's <laughs> sticking her fingers in her ears and going, la, 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 la. And it's this interesting little idea that she's coming to realize that being editor isn't just doing the editing part, but she's also kind of babysitting and being the therapist for all of the employees too. Yep. And all of a sudden, Jeez. she respects Perry White's position in life a lot more. Yep. Well, and think about all the stuff that she put Perry through. And, uh, you know what I mean? So there's that extra layer. I like here, too, where Clark comes to talk to her because she's like, trying to get some peace of quiet in her office. And Clark comes and calls her Metropolis, uh, you know, to, to go with when she calls him Smallville. And that was a nice little fun touch. Uh, I think it worked, well, it worked well in context because mm-hmm. she's been overstressed by the bustle mm-hmm. of everything, which is kind yep. of what small, what, which, you know, she always called him Smallville because he comes from the simple town who just farms right. and he's, he's the small town boy. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, he goes to Supercorp because he, he needs to find mm-hmm. out about his project chains, which is what he found mm-hmm. out from one of the villains last time. Mm-hmm. And Lex Luthor knows about it or didn't know about it. it was one of his things so he talks to mercy mm-hmm. he talks to the employees he talks to the lex hologram which he's not thrilled about doing but that's, <laughs> that's the way it goes so it turns out that this project was a fancy prison cell that was done in conjunction with strikers island and mm-hmm. the prison was there was only one prototype was ever built and it was 300 feet below the prison and it was mm-hmm. designed so that the, the, whoever was in there would be in a complete sentry deprivation tank uh, and would never get out, right? It, it, yep. it would deal mm-hmm. with feeding them and stuff, but they would never get out. And yep. Superman immediately is like, well, I can't trust... <laughs> out. Yeah, I can't trust that whoever Lex put in there deserved this type oh. of punishment. And it's not like I like sending people to the Phantom Zone, so I'm going to go down and open. That said, though, I feel like... Superman's naivete maybe shows a little bit here. I think mm-hmm. going and checking who's there, absolutely. But, like, freeing him and saying, hey, I'm here to help and expecting that he won't lash out or whoever this may be. Yeah. Maybe a bit maybe a bit dumb on Superman's yeah, part. Yeah, but again, he's a little bit too trusting. He believes in people a little bit more than he should. You know, I, I, mean, I feel it, like this, this I, checks for, for Clark. I, I guess, though... I'm thinking, even if this is someone who doesn't deserve it, even if this is a saint mm-hmm. of a person, being down here for, like, ten yeah. years in this situation might make them cranky. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a reason why solitary confinement is the worst thing in prison, right? Yeah. Like, because you're alone with your thoughts, and this person, you know, in complete sensory deprivation, you know, 300 feet below the surface, like, it's it's extra and extra and extra. So, so yeah, um... Yeah, I said tank, but it's actually more like a helmet that he's wearing over yeah. his head. That, uh... You know what? It kind of reminded me, I don't know how familiar you are with the X-Men and stuff, but when we learned about Proteus and his reality uh, warping powers, um, you know, that Xavier had him, you know, kind of, oh, I forget what island he was on, but they, they had him put away because he could, you know, hop from body to body and then they'd lose track of him. This reminded me very similar to that, that whatever this guy's deal is, he's that much of a threat that he needs to be away from everybody. Yeah, I mean, um, his eyes light up, and when he does start fighting, right, he gets really pissed. But as soon as he realizes yeah. that Superman 
is kind of working for Lex Luthor in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets really upset about that. He starts flying, and notably, when Superman tries to blast him with heat vision, this guy just, like, redirects the beams. Like, he just sort of makes yep. them go at a right angle. So he's mm-hmm. got some form of telekinesis or something. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that, and then he, he forms the Earth, right, into, into big hands to trap Superman. Um before he wraps him up in the, the same jeans. Yeah. And that, that, whoever this is, this is from before mm-hmm. Superman... Well, not existed, mm-hmm. but before he was publicly Superman. Because this right. is... He doesn't know who Superman is. This was before... So Lex right. stopped this ultra-powerful being, whoever he is. Now, admittedly, he still may turn out to maybe be a good guy who Lex has turned into a villain by the way he's treated yeah. him. That's entirely mm-hmm. possible. But clearly he is a bit dangerous mm-hmm. right now. Uh, so the big cliffhanger at the end of the issue is that He's basically trapped Superman in this same prison when he and this guy, this mystery character has left, mm-hmm. and Mercy's like, "Hey, Superman, I can't free you. The only person who can get you out of this now is, well, basically Lex Luthor." Uh, <laughs> so, who who wakes up right uh, yelling about Superman? What have you done? Um, yeah, he he just knows yeah. he knows uh-huh. that that prison's been owned. So. Yep. Uh, as, I'm going to assume that the villains, you know, what Graft and whatever the other mm-hmm. one was called, Dr. Farm, mm-hmm. uh, they, they probably wanted this guy out. This is maybe someone yep. who's going to work with them or something. Yeah, um, it's designed chaos, right? If, if they're busy with the chain, then they can't pay attention to them. Um, I also think the design's pretty cool. Um, just the way that the chains are coming off of him, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like... They are like tentacles, but it's not in that Doc Ock kind of way, right? It, they're just they're, they're kind less, of just omnipresent. Yeah, they're less symmetrical and like uniform. Yeah. They're more kind of squiggly wiggly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it just it makes almost like an alien like form to this guy, who by uh, you know all of the metrics is a normal human um, with a very powerful telekinesis. So yeah, which by um, the way, next issue is eight fifty. So I guess this was Legacy mm-hmm. eight four nine. They should start tracking this on this okay. cover as well. That, that would make sense. Um, I like the the art from from Melkinov. I, I always butcher the name. Melnikov. The, Melnikov. There we go. Um, the only problem is the, the the colors seem washed out, right? And I was so used to when Melkinov. Did he, did he do it? Yeah. Melnikov. Um, Mel Melnikov. All right. When <laughs> Melnikov was on Robin, I believe the colors were a lot more vibrant and it matched his style uh, a bit more. Um. But I mean, it's not bad. It's just the colors just seemed washed out. Well, um, I think they're only washed out in the back half because they're underground and they're going for this kind of kind of tone. If you go back to the first half, mm-hmm. you know when when Lex or when Superman's just talking to Mercy at the the Supercourt building mm-hmm. or the, the early action stuff out yeah. in the, the the car chase, like they're all quite vibrant there. I think there's an intentional choice yeah. when they okay. go underground to to mute everything. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Well, I was even looking on like the super core pages. Everything's got like this, you know, it's the soft color palette, I guess, too, maybe of, of you know, like Metropolis. It's almost like a watercolor type thing. Um, but uh, Melnikov's art's kind of angular in, in a way that I like, where, you know, not, it's not like too angular in a manga way. Uh, that, I don't know, the vibrant, you know, colors pop on all the angles a little bit better than some of the softer. However, the. The layouts and breakdowns are really fantastic. Um, so, uh, but yeah. 
Yeah, no, I enjoyed the art in this. Like Melnikov is is a solid artist. He's not a name that gets me excited necessarily, so I'm always kind of pleasantly surprised when I see his art and mm-hmm. go, you know what? No, this is actually pretty good. It's uh, it's got a style. It doesn't feel how style. It feels like yeah. it's got personality. Uh, the bigger moments, like the big, you know, hands made out of the earth, like coming after mm-hmm. Superman. That's that. That's a two page layout where there's a big, big wide panel going across the two pages. Yeah. And then you've got the uh, smaller moments of action underneath. Like I, I think that's really well framed mm-hmm. and paced. So yeah, that yeah, was pretty solid. Uh, obviously, we yeah. had Jamal Campbell on the first few issues first of this. Arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure if Campbell's coming back or if we're just kind of switching now. But I mean, if Melnikov ends up being the regular artist on this, that's not a bad choice. Like I'm not going to no. be disappointed with that. No, me neither. So no, mm-hmm. I mean, this was a pretty solid issue, and I think. Mm-hmm. It, honestly, the last couple issues of this have been quite good. Um, I just felt very, very let down by the ending to that first arc, which was just the first three issues. Because it set up some really cool stuff in issue mm-hmm. two, and then it just quickly wrapped it all up in issue three. And yeah. you add on the fact that Williamson's let me down more often than not at this point, I'm very hesitant, but I can't really say I have much negative to say about this issue. No, I like it. And, and it feels like he's like... This is This is... Ground that we've tried before, you know, with the misunderstood villain, right, with Superman. But it also feels fresh at the same time. Mm. So, you know, I, I appreciate it for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. What are you giving Superman issue six? Uh, solid eight. Uh, yeah, I... I think I'll go on Nudge Lawrence 7.5, but it, it was yeah. you know, it was good. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. happy enough with it. Uh, all right, Nightwing 106, Tom Taylor writing and Stephen Byrne on the art. So, uh, shock to the system at the start of this issue a little bit because they hit us with a little bit of Rick Grayson and I was not, I was not prepared for such a thing. But you know what? I love that Tom Taylor knows this. So if he hits us with uh, Rick Grayson, we know it's a time in Dick's oh, life. Yeah, we we know what that... he's do- like. We know he knows what he's doing with this, uh-huh. like when he when he's playing with this stuff. Because uh, I. I saw it. It said, it said like another time in another life. I went, oh no. Well, uh, Joe's so good about this stuff. So what this whole issue basically gets at is that that um the the ship, which is the mm-hmm. what did they call it again? It's the hold, right? The hold. Something. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so the hold was something we encountered a few issues ago before the last arc, and mm-hmm. it was like, oh, there's something here for for Nightwing, and Dick mm-hmm. had no idea why it was there or who put it there. So this idea that this was something that was for Nightwing, for Dick Grayson, and Rick said, that's not really for me, so I'm just going to put it into this this bank for Nightwing mm-hmm. should he ever come back. Um, although, I have to admit, I don't think I realized that Dick doesn't remember his time as Rick. I didn't either. Because obviously Rick never remembered his time as Dick beforehand, but right. I didn't realize that the time as, of, as Rick was... It was, vice, of, yeah, it was yeah. vice versa. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that that was a little surprising, uh, but the issue does a good job of sort of telling us who everyone who this this character uh, B is. The start is it B? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's B. It's just B. Uh, yeah. Who's this bartender that Rick was? Like, it was a regular character. She she was there during Rick Grayson's time in, in the Nightwing book, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't remember because I didn't read much of it because I hated it. But they do a good job of introducing her in this flashback at the start which sets up this package whatever it is uh that's for mm-hmm. nightwing and we see you know the the old man who runs the, the place. quartermaster the quartermaster yes yeah um so the, at the end when we get to the cliffhanger 
and we see B again, we're like, oh, we know who that is. We have context mm-hmm. for this. So I thought that was smart. Uh, so, you know, that, that stuff's good. Anyway, so present day, uh, Nightwing is sleeping in a lot. Uh, Beast Boy is a dog and is playing with Haley on his bed. <laughs> It is so pure. I love it. Uh, no one's happy about it except Beast Boy, of course. Well, I guess yeah. Haley's happy about it. Haley loves Haley's it. Haley's happy. Yeah. yeah, she's having a good time. Uh, mm-hmm. But the big plot point this issue really is that Heartless, who is working with uh, Zuko, mm-hmm. goes after the hold and kills the quartermaster and his guards. But they're very surprised to find when they go into this, you know, this this cavern at the beach, mm-hmm. which is where we found the thing. And everyone will remember the big whale skeleton that led to the mm-hmm. boat. Uh, when they go in, the boat's not there. It's empty. Uh, so someone moved the hold. So they're very shocked by this. And Nightwing's also shocked by this because when he's at the crime scene afterwards and he's talking to Maggie Sawyer, he's like, hey, yeah, there's a big boat down there. And she's like, there's no boat. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there something you want to tell me, Nightwing? We get more details on this case to, sh- to, yeah, well- to shed? I love how he he goes, I don't know the big one, Commissioner, but the sailor was known as the quartermaster. And Sawyer goes, that's not a name, right? She deals with people called Superman and Nightwing, and she's going to pick it quartermaster. I thought that was funny. Yeah. I also, I just don't want to gloss over it too much, but I did enjoy the scene where it's Heartless versus Quartermaster, just because I Uh like... I like Quartermaster to be like, yeah, we know you're stuck in the streets of Bloodhaven. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're aware of what's going on. Um... But of course, you know, Heartless whips out his heart extraction gun thing, (laughs) which is still a wonderful, like, very horrific thing. Uh, But uh, yeah, so so Nightwing gets on his bike, he chases down the ambulance that was taking the Quartermaster's body because Oracle informs him that those people were actually employed by the the health system. This is is something shady. So Nightwing chases down the ambulance, and there's a bit of an action sequence here. Nightwing ends up riding mm. his bike up over a car. So we get a nice big full-page mm-hmm. spread of him flying through the air. Uh, but he gets to the, the, the ambulance and uh, beats up the, the guys. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a surprise when he realizes the ambulance, despite the fact that he never, you know, felt the, the, the truck stop, right. suddenly the ambulance is on a boat. It's, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not the hold. It's not the old ship. It's just no. some ship. It's on another boat, and because Oracle tells him, you know, you're, he's like, she says, uh, I don't suppose that the ambulance is also a hovercraft, because the GPS is now in the harbor. So that's where he comes out, and yeah. they're on this like barge boat. Not even a barge. It's more like a like a commercial fisher. Yeah, it's, just, um, it's not like a, a super fancy boat. But he gets yeah. out, and there's a bunch of people with guns and stuff. And they're like, don't move. And someone says, I, Captain Blood. And he's like, Captain Blood? Mm-hmm. And then that's when Bay shows up. She's the captain of this ship. She's got like a pirate mm-hmm. belt on. So I assume that they're the ones who have moved the hold somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that these mm-hmm. ambulance drivers that were stealing the body weren't bad guys per se. <clears throat> they were just part of this group who were retrieving his body. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, they're going to go send them, bury him at sea or something. I don't know. I, I love this kind of little secret society thing that exists uh, in comics where it's totally plausible. There's this whole society of pirate sailors operating underneath the nose of the superheroes because um, it's just it's fun. And Tom Taylor knows that. Um, so, you know, even though normally when you get Nightwing and, and Batman and these type of characters that are kind of street level, I like when it can get a little bit whimsical like this. 
Um, so, you know, having Nightwing as a pirate for the next couple issues, I'm, I'm here for. Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay. I like Quartermaster. I like the idea of the secret bank uh, mm-hmm. that people use. The actual pirate imagery and stuff and B having a pirate belt and sword, I'm just kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. I'm not a whimsy fan like you are. Yeah. Whimsy's not my thing. But uh, I, I don't hate it by any means. And I, I am mm-hmm. interested in what's in, the, what's in the box, as Nightwing puts yeah. it. What's Ooh. in the box? Yeah. Uh, also, quarter, when Quartermaster faces down Heartless, he calls him a stupid spoiled boy. So it's almost as if Quartermaster even knows... Right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I wonder if it's implying that he knows more, or if it, is it just a case of he's so good at reading people that he's like, yeah. no, you're a spoiled brat. Like whoever you yeah. are, you're a spoiled rich kid. Well, either either way, it just shows that he's been around for a while, right? Yeah. That that you know, not not maybe like there's like magical life thing, but he's seen a lot in his role as a quartermaster. Whether he knows that Heartless is who he is, or like you said, he's just been around and can read people better. Um, but yeah, I I like that. Uh, part two and this is also building the mythology of Bloodhaven which if I remember my DC history right it started off as a whaling town so the idea mm-hmm. that you had the whale bones with the That's hold right. and, and now you have this you have Captain Blood um, or Blood um, uh, I, I said Blood because I say Bloodhaven but I don't right. know but it, does it have the umlauts? it does have the umlauts. so yeah it, does, it would be yeah. Blood um, so just the whole idea you know so it sounds weird to say on it's on Blood just Blood yeah right Captain um, Blood but yeah, um, again, it's very silly and whimsical, and uh, I, I like I like this kind of stuff. But also, I feel like Tom Taylor has a thing because I feel there's something similar in Suicide Squad, or maybe that was just the um, what was the name of the the Revolutionaries? They had a boat too that they went around. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, they, had yeah. A, they were on a boat for but a while. They were going around too, so I don't know. Maybe he's just got a thing for boats, like oh. like Hawkeye. He does boats. Uh, yeah, and then there's a backup story, and this is the first part of a, a three-part backup story, which is Dick is training with Cass, which is fun enough, but it turns out to be this is more about Dick teaching her how to cook. So mm-hmm. he's teaching Cass how to uh, bake pancakes, mm-hmm. uh, and there's some nefarious figure who looks like he's right out of the 1930s with his pencil mustache and hat, um, if I if I didn't know better, I'd have said this is Matches Malone. Uh, yeah. Watching from the distance, but he's, he's he's surveying the place and he's talking about, uh, you know, this Dick Grayson. Like basically, he's talking about how Dick's got a lot of money, but he's living with all the poor people still, and how I mean, whatever group he represents is is looking to deal with them. And we see th- this uh, trio of guys who are very similarly dressed. Um, they've all got the mustaches, they've all got sunglasses, they've all got leather jackets. Like honestly. If you said that this was, they were all going out to a gay bar after this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue against you. Do you know that scene in Police Academy when they go to the gay, gay bar, mm-hmm. the Blue mm-hmm. Oyster, and they all start dancing? Yep. These guys yeah, look, yep. they're all out of that scene. Yep, yep. They definitely see that would be written in the 2020s now. You know, that is yeah. a, a relic of the 80s. Um, yeah. And they've got uh, lots and lots of stuffed bears, and they refer to themselves as the Three Bears. So I guess the other guy in the car who's surveying Dick's place or yeah. uh, the Batgirl's place is, yeah. is just a hired PI. But he's got such a similar style to these guys that I, I feel like they're part of the same group. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was I, I read this late, so I don't remember a lot of it. But I remember I remember the cooking part of it. Um, yeah, that, man, their smiles are very creepy 
on top of it too. I don't know if that's just the art or if that's the intent. Yeah, I I, I like the art kind of, but it definitely has like a like every smile looks like they're up to something sinister <laughs> kind yeah, of vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. Um, uh, but Steph arrives from patrolling and comes in and is all excited uh, to try these pancakes. So mm-hmm. Dick, Steph, and Cass are hanging around having pancakes. Haley's having the burn pancakes, although she's not mm-hmm. actually eating them because they look horrible. And probably <laughs> the best laugh of the whole issue is uh-huh. that is that Steph goes to shut the blinds and the PI with the big glasses and the moustache is watching through his binoculars and he sees Steph at the window shutting the blinds and he says, how many broads is this guy dating? Yep. And throws his binoculars in the back seat and drives off. And I just, that gave me a good chuckle. Because uh, yep. obviously he's just here hanging out with the other back girls. <laughs> but... Ah, <Yeah. laughs> oh, dear. Um, honestly, as far as backups go, this, like... Mm-hmm. I thought this was a perfect little bit of just silly fun. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. it just worked on its own as a fun little thing. I obviously like seeing Steph and Cass. Uh, notably, it's written by Michael Conrad, who was one of the mm-hmm. two writers on the Batgirls book. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably an intentional thing. Uh, Serge Acuna is the artist. Is the artist, here. yeah. Um, so, and I, I do enjoy the art overall. I think it's got a good overall look to it. And I mm-hmm. think the way he draws faces is really good for the villains, but maybe not as good... Like, Dick always looks like he's plotting something. Like, every time yeah. he smiles in this this backup, he looks like he's plotting to, like, steal yep. someone's dog or something. I don't know. <laughs> For sure. Uh, uh, yeah. But it's a bad. I thought it was a fun little backup. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm down for more. Uh, yeah, I, I like when we get um, Dick working with the Batgirls, right? Like, because we always get him and Barbara, but the fact that there's two other Batgirls... And that whole relationship between, you know, Nightwing and Robin and uh, all that type of stuff. It, it really it really makes it feel like a Bat family. Yeah, still, if they right? means he's a little brother, it makes sense that you would yeah. maybe treat Cass like a little sister. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there's, there's, there's logic to that. I think yeah. I do like when backups are a bit more just fun like this because it's like, okay, the main story should probably be the more serious one with the more big stakes. So if mm-hmm. you're going to do like a little slice of life thing in the backup, that's that's fine by me. Uh, but I, I did enjoy uh, that. So, uh, what are you rating Nightwing 104 overall? Or 106, sorry, overall. Um, I will give it... Because we got a factor in the backup, which was fine. I'll give this a 7.5. Yeah, I think I'm going to just go with a straight 7 on this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, like I, I enjoyed both the main story and the backup um, without mm-hmm. any of them ever like really going to like the heights of the, the series, you know? Um, yeah. I'm not as into the pirate stuff necessarily, but I do like the mystery of the the package that's for Dick that we'll eventually see what it is mm-hmm. later in the yeah. arc, I assume. Uh, and some of the action is fun. And, you know, obviously the art here is pretty solid. I, obviously, I miss Redondo, but, you know, it's a, I, it, absolutely a good fill-in to sort of complement that style. Yeah, and, it, and it's Stephen Byrne, too, who, you know... Um, Always works like with uh, what was it? Who's the, who's the writer on Wonder Twins? Uh, why am I drawing a blank? Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's he's it's great stuff. He also did the Flintstones, but um, this this the style here for the art almost kind of is trying to match Redondo, but it's also uniquely Stephen Byrne. So mm-hmm. um, the fact that it, it's adapting, he's adapting to kind of fit the style of Nightwing, I appreciate. Uh, because usually Stephen Burns' art is very bubbly and rounded and soft 
edges. Here it had a little bit more of the, the straight lines and the darker lines, so uh, which which I like, you know, because it, it it feels like Nightwing still, mm-hmm. you know, the Tom Taylor version. So, yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, Green Lantern War Journal, issue one, Philip K. The Johnson writing with Montos on the art. So, yeah, obviously the backups from Green Lantern kind of led into this, and mm-hmm. they were a bit messy because it was sort of like we didn't know if it was the future or whatever. It turned out to be a different universe with a John Stewart, yes. and it was feeding into what the story was going to be. And the last part of that backup last week ended up being the, the best part of it because it kind of gave context to everything that had been going on. Um, so we were kind of looking forward to uh, War Journal issue one and getting a mm-hmm. new Green Lantern John Stewart book, and yeah, it's pretty good. I'm quite happy with this. I, man, the Green Lantern books are such a good place right now because they're kind of everything that I want in Green Lantern. Um, in here, it's got that little bit of I don't know if it's if it's pathos because you're getting that emotion with John and his mom, and that stuff really hits home in, in this issue. Um, and it gets balanced by all the, you know, the stuff that's happening on the space station and all that action. But, yeah. but for, for, for the record, just before we get mm-hmm. going further here, is mm-hmm. that you, you can absolutely read this without reading that back up yeah. uh, from, you, from the Green Lantern book. It, like, for sure. It you, gives you a, might have, like, we had right. a little bit of context coming in to mm-hmm. what type of story it was going to be, but it yeah. still it sets things up well, where it sets up that John's staying with his mom, he's missing life as a Green Lantern, you know, after yeah. the opening big space scene, which we'll talk about, um, mm-hmm. we get a few pages where he's stuck in traffic, he's clearly stressed by that, and, like, there's, like, a quick panel of, like, him flying with jets as Green Lantern, and he's clearly mm-hmm. longing for that freedom, and then the traffic light turns green, you know, it, s- things like that, you know? Yeah, it reminds me of the the last scene of the Hurt Locker, when he's kind of paralyzed in the aisle, uh, um, yeah, okay, yeah. Picking, up, picking the cereal, because, you know, that's not a decision that's life or death like he was used to. And that's almost like John here, right? When he's he's digging holes, but he's flashing back to, you know, stopping these floodwaters on this alien planet, you know? So it's almost kind of like, not quite that it's it's PTSD, but it's almost like he has, like, that that call for action that he should be doing more of yeah. his life. But he wants to spend time with his mother, who's mm-hmm. reaching the end of her days, and that becomes clear as it goes on later with uh, like where yeah. that stuff goes. But uh, the opening scene is this great uh, scene in space where some entity in a in a, a ring, right? It looks kind of mm-hmm. like a star sapphire ring, but obviously it does. it's from this other universe. It's and the radiant dead queen. And it does. Although never mentioned that in this year, though, right? Well, no. So that that I was gonna say the only thing that you would garner from the the backups in Green Lantern uh, uh, is the concept of the Radiant Dead. Yeah, I, I'm right? sure. I'm sure they'll obviously get to the like that name in, right. in this book. But I, I'm just clarifying for anyone who didn't read the backups, but is just mm-hmm. reading this and listening to this review. Like, yeah, the. It, you know, it, it's like we we get this ring showing up, and there's clearly a voice that comes with it. And yeah. this astronaut who's on a spacewalk in the space station, um, like you know, mm-hmm. the, the the energy of this like arrival puts the space station into turmoil. It starts to malfunction, yep. and they're all screaming and they're saying, "Hey, you have to connect the Earth thing out there, otherwise we're all going to suffocate." But she's too busy being entranced by this floating ring that's coming mm-hmm. towards her, and she's reaching out to it. And there's this great moment where the rings kind of look big in the negative space and the astronaut's like really small coming towards yeah. her. She's actually inside the loop of the ring. Um, mm-hmm. But then you get this close up and it's like a reflection of the 
the you know the monster lady like in the, yeah. the reflection so it's a really good like horror movie like something's come from space and right. possessed this woman and turned her into this monster she looks like a skeleton that's on purple fire <laughs> yeah. next page no yeah you know it, it, it's almost like he's uh, philip kenny johnson said practice from writing an alien book too playing playing with that do, concept do you know what? i mean we haven't mentioned the art yet but i was thinking during this first mm-hmm. this scene i was like damn this artist could do an alien because the artist is great mm-hmm. I, I don't know who mantos is i've, I've done like a yeah. heard of mantos but mm-hmm. uh i love the art in this book i thought the mm-hmm. all this stuff in space looked great there's a nice eye for detail uh in the mm-hmm. right places um well, yeah, and it's, the, the, it balances all that actiony stuff, right, and horror stuff in the beginning. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. The horror stuff is all really <laughs> visually striking. Like all mm-hmm. that stuff's really good. Um, yeah, I think that was really good. And then it also handles the quiet moments with John afterwards mm-hmm. as well, when he's you know stuck yep. in traffic or he's fixing the sink or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, it all is good. I was actually really impressed by the art. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it sets up uh, that the mom is like, you know, reminiscing about this old story of John taking a part of a clock. And she keeps saying, oh, when is so-and-so uh, coming? When's your little sister coming home? And the the tone kind of drops when she says that and John's kind of awkward about it. Um, and then we find out later, obviously there's an action thing in the middle here, but we find mm-hmm. out later that, yeah, the little sister, and you, obviously you might know this from DC history, but mm-hmm. John's little sister has been dead for sometime and right. the mom has clearly got something like dementia or something like that she repeats that story that she was telling earlier she clearly forg- she doesn't know that she's already told that story today it's so hard it's so heartbreaking yeah. too and the way that john just deals with it is like yeah mom i you, you've you know i remember that story uh you know and he, you could tell he's just barely holding it together yeah and he makes he makes a construct of his little sister so that the uh-huh. mom can see her and it is, it is really sad and it's 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 like not only is he feeling because we got the sense that he was staying with his mom in the backup because oh mm-hmm. maybe she needs some help you know because she's getting old and she's sick or whatever yep. but it never got to this idea that she's got full-blown dementia and that he's mm-hmm. he's having to deal with that so that's longing for the adventure and the idea that that to him is easier like flying with jets mm-hmm. and like fighting aliens that's easier to him than dealing with what his mother is fighting with in the house i, I think that's yeah. really interesting Oh, uh, for sure, and out. and it just it goes into his whole idea too of, uh, uh, you know, John the Builder, right? Is can you he know, fix it? Yes, he can. Can he? Right? <laughs> right, but like this is a problem he can't fix, right? Like there's nothing that he could do with Green Lantern energy that's going to help his mom. Yeah, so mean, he just has to be present for her. The whole story you know? with the dismantling of the clock that she keeps bringing mm-hmm. up is is there to tell us, no, he's always had this like fascination with breaking down mechanical things mm-hmm. and understanding how they work from the inside, but you can't do yeah. that with a human. This doesn't work no. the same. Right. Um, so, um, you know, so this Green Lantern shows up. Uh, that's just, I don't know who this Green Lantern is. It's a random Green Lantern, I think. It's a random Green Lantern. Yeah. And, uh, you get through the scene, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts because I have a lot. Yeah, so basically he's like, hey, we've got readings here of energy of a Green Lantern ring, but you're, you're not meant to have one. You're, you've been fired or whatever. So uh, basically he's like, hey, I'm going to go into that house and arrest everyone because you shouldn't have this energy. And then John whips up a construct and makes it clear that he doesn't need a ring. He doesn't use a ring anymore. He can yep. just make Green Lantern constructs uh, with his body, which is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a massive deal. So uh, he punches him back into space and makes it clear that no, there's no unauthorized ring. I just have a natural connection to the Green Lantern energy for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So 
Uh, I don't know if that was set up in another book that I wasn't reading or something, but this was a big deal to me with it. <laughs> yeah, it always kind of goes with the idea of John Stewart as as the Guardian, right? It's like mm. he almost ascends Green Lantern Hood and he almost becomes a human Guardian, and he can tie into the Green uh, Energy much like you know Ganthet and all of them do. Um, so when this Lantern shows up and it's all part of the, you know, the Green Lantern Corps being a part of the United Planets. Yeah, it's the Green Lantern of the United Planets or something. Like and like, for as much as I am tired of the, you know, you know, space opera e type stuff, you know, when Bendis did that by having the, you know, the United Planets pop in and then the Green Lanterns becoming, you know, part of that, it added this whole level of bureaucracy that even more right than what we were getting in other Green Lantern books. Um, so I, I give credit to both Philip Kennedy Johnson and Jeremy Adams for giving us Green Lanterns outside the bounds. Because both, right, Hal has that new ring um, that we, we still yeah. don't understand. Which I'm pretty right? sure, I guess it's just not showing up on their readings because it's coming, it's, you know, it's being made with a different thing. But I right. was thinking, hey, if anyone on Earth's got an unauthorized Green Lantern ring, it's Hal right. Jordan over there in Coast City. Maybe I go check that out, buddy. Right, right. There's that. And then there's just John doing all of this. But like, they're still being able to be Green Lanterns outside of this United Planets bureaucracy. So it, it definitely gives it more of that superhero kind of outlaw kind of vibe that I feel like both it gives both characters an edge there that just having them be space cops doing stuff on Earth is kind of lacking. Um, so I mean, you say that, but honestly, just having them being on Earth is the big thing to me. Like, mm-hmm. I was so sick of them just being on all these random different yeah. planets. It was constantly just like having this being tied to Earth, and they can have visitors from other places. Yeah. Like, they can have Green Lanterns come down and talk to them. That's all fine. You can mm-hmm. still have that as the backdrop to the right. to the Green Lantern universe. <clears throat> but I think having this like human connection, where he's got this sick mother that he's dealing with, yeah. and even then, the threat that they set up here at the end, which so it's all, well, let's say the end, the start and the end, mm-hmm. the start obviously introduced the villain and right. this astronaut you know, became possessed with whatever this force is. Mm-hmm. The end of the issue is that this Green Lantern from the same universe that the ring and the, the villain came from mm-hmm. shows up and searches the wreckage of the space station. And a couple of notable things here before we even get to the plot is that the way his ring talks to him is a little bit different to the way that the rings mm-hmm. in our universe talk to the lanterns. Like It's like this is actually a person who used to be a person and is now mm-hmm. a ring. As opposed it, it to, it reminds me more of what Jess dealt with, right, with the power ring from the evil universe. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you but, know? but not evil, just a little right. s- snarky. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so he's searching the ship, and um, so he's Lantern Shepherd. We find out his name, uh, mm-hmm. and he's got a very. Uh, you, know the, you know, the Green Power Ranger had that gold shield that he wore over his outfit. Oh. That's, it is. Yeah, it's just like, imagine that, but the, the, that's green over black, and that's what this yeah. Green Martin outfit is for this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is looking for, uh, like, because we don't realize this at the start, but what it turns out to right. be is that the other astronauts in the ship have all been infected and effectively mm-hmm. turned into space zombies, right? And this is where, like, it adds some more context to that backup, and I kind of realize what some of it was getting at now. But mm-hmm. effectively, between what he says in the ring is that, wait a minute, okay, she's here, she's infected these these astronauts, the space zombie virus is spreading. Um, the Radiant Dead's the actual name they give them. I'm just saying space yep. zombie because it sounds cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, okay, so he, he fights them, and he deals with them, uh, or he's in the middle of dealing with them, but the ring reminds him, hey, like... If there's space zombies up here, 
then part of the station may have fell to Earth. And if this Earth has already started to spread the space zombie virus effectively, then it might be lost. This may not be where the final battle's yeah. held. You have to find the one we're here to find. We have to find John Stewart. And yeah. we know from the backup the reason why they're looking for John Stewart is because John Stewart's kind of their hero on their universe. So right. they're and, looking... and he is tied to the the whole idea of the Radiant Dead being multiversal. Right, is that the Radiant Dead or the Radiant Queen is kind of tied to John Stewart as well? She's looking for him, too. Um, so, so well, yeah. So whatever. She's, what, she's not tied to our John Stewart though. She's she's looking no. she's looking for our John Stewart because she hates right. her John Stewart and right. wants to go after him. Uh, I don't. I mean, we don't even know if it's just a straight up vengeance thing or if it's right. just a, you know whatever it may be. It, but whatever it is. But yeah, and so. Um, like you said you like to call them space zombies because it's more fun, but the idea of Radiant Dead as a name kind of reminds me of Romero calling them the Living Dead and never, like, out and out Oh, zombies. sure, yeah. That's, that's the nice... You know, so, uh... um, so it gives it a little bit of a panache. Okay, uh, I, but... I can get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think this was a really good first issue. I think this was... Mm-hmm. It, it set up the emotional place that John's in. It gave us some connections to him as a human and, like, the characters around him. And then the thread that it sets up here is super interesting way more interesting than it ever was in that backup like i think the simple idea that oh some kind of zombie queen <laughs> has come from yeah. this other universe and is potentially going to infect our entire earth and is is targeting specifically john stewart but we also have like it's almost a little bit terminator and that mm-hmm. instead of coming from the future they're coming from another universe and this is the, yeah. at the end of the book this is the kyle reese who's coming yeah. back and saying oh i need to go find john stewart before she does i mean his name's even john like john connor like the- sure. <laughs> he's he has to say come with me if you want to live right oh uh, maybe he will maybe, maybe yeah. they'll even make that reference but yeah. I, I do think it's this idea, and maybe this is, is tied into the fact that John can make his own constructs. He's special mm-hmm. in some way, and that's yeah. why he's important to stopping her, and maybe why she's like, I'm going to conquer this universe instead. I just have to make sure mm-hmm. I take out that pesky John Stewart first. Yeah. Uh, so that was good. And then the art was uh, was, was great. Yeah. Uh, Montos is really good. It's, like, it's, it's moody where it needs to be, so like the the horror zombie stuff, is you know yeah it not, has its own vibe like, and then the all, at home john stewart stuff has its own vibe but they match perfectly all the like, stuff they, they in, match together well yeah all the stuff in space looks really good that that panel where uh lantern shepherd's looking through the ship and you get mm-hmm. the the radiant dead crawling out of the darkness down the the, the shaft yeah. in the bottom half of the page that is mm-hmm. a fantastic page it's really good horror stuff yeah uh, and obviously because we're dealing with all these these dark spaces in space and through this ship the mm-hmm. green light really pops as he's looking yeah. through. Yeah, the, the colorist is earning it in this one, you know, because yeah. the purple off of the Radiant Dead, the green off of the lanterns, um, it, it everything is very vibrant. Uh, and like you said, it pops. Uh, but but yeah, um, my really kind of the only thing is t- kind of towards the end where, where the Radiant Dead start coming out. Some of the stuff of Lantern Shepherd looks a little rough, but I mean, that's picking nits at this point uh it, it was a very good first issue i mean who would have thought philip kennedy johnson on green lantern would end up being a hit <laughs> i mean you say that i think the only reason why it, there was any doubt is because the backup was a bit messy but i mean i think mm-hmm. that was just because he was trying to get across like really confusing complex ideas yeah. in a backup yeah. this this is an issue one this Mm-hmm. Like, we've come into it with a little bit of context from the backup, which let us maybe understand it a little better. But even if yeah. you didn't, 
I, I think this issue clearly takes its time and sets up the main things it needs to set up. I don't think anyone will feel lost reading this first issue at all. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. It's great that we have two. And honestly, I think we, we're going to have a fight now between the Lantern books as to which one is better. This might be the better of the two. It's hard to say after one issue, but... Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's good. It's good that they're going to be, you know, duking it out. There's going to be, like, uh, a fight between them. Um, you know... It, when we really like, say, detective comics, we would rather Batman was fighting it for, you know, yeah. the title of the best Batman book. But the truth is, is that usually one's just clearly the better one at the time, and the other yeah. one's just, you know, okay or whatever. So it's maybe nice that we'll have a bit of a fight here. But uh, the the strong focus and direction and tone of this issue and character and art work is all just mm-hmm. telling me that this might be the better of the two but it's hard to say because we've had three issues of the other one we've only had one issue of this yeah I, I like that they're both different but they're both tackling you know again the kind of outsider green lantern on earth uh but in their own ways whereas you know john here is trying to fix those problems whereas hal is is still essentially just being hal and being that hot shot pilot you know character they're, they're both distinct which i appreciate um yeah, but I'm seeing what other art Montos has done, and there's not a lot. So hopefully, this is the coming out party for Montos because it says that I hope so. he's he's worked on a book with Christopher Priest called Entropy, uh, but that's really the only thing that's coming up, and that's a lot of Green Lantern. Yeah, maybe so, maybe they're just very new, but at the very least, yeah. I, I hope they stick around on this book uh, mm-hmm. as the regular Me artist because uh, this was very very good. So, yeah. what are you rating Green Lantern War Journal issue one? I'm gonna give this an eight point five. I gotta make it go a little bit higher and say nine. Uh, that was really good. Uh, I thought it was a, a, another. St- I think we had two great issue ones this week, and this was the lesser of the two, which is mm-hmm. which is an incredible bar to be to be setting. So, mm-hmm. uh, very good. Uh, all right, moving on. Batman Superman World's Finest issue eighteen. Mark Wade writing with Travis mm-hmm. Moore on the art. So. Uh, this is wrapping up the two-parter of like, the first Batman and Superman team-up story. Mm-hmm. Jack Sawyer's out of the Phantom Zone. He's trapped Batman. Uh, so we get a lot of Superman and Jack Sawyer fighting. We get a lot of Batman in the Phantom Zone talking to Alfred, who'd already been put in there uh, mm-hmm. last issue. And yeah, um, I think this, this looks really great. I think the art's really strong. Um, there's some really fun stuff. I would say that my favorite part of it is when Superman's like communicating with Batman and telling him who Jack Sawyer is and what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we even talked last issue about like we weren't sure if this continuity had the whole Krypton ban space travel thing, but this right. issue clarifies. No, they absolutely did, and it was always kind of frowned upon. But Jack Sawyer trying to build a ship and accidentally killing ten thousand Kryptonians on their moon uh-huh. is what like ironclad said it, no yeah. that's it we're done this is outlawed and yep. what, I, what i like about that is superman says he holds jack sewer partly responsible for the death of krypton and what i like about that is that he's not saying oh jack sewer is responsible in any way for the planet exploding because mm-hmm. i hate when someone's behind that but what he's saying is is that we could have evacuated possibly thousands or millions of people right. if he hadn't like set the the path of like no the tolerance on space travel is just done because of what he did it wouldn't have been just cal and kara that that make it off as krypton's coming to an end Mm. um we could have had a whole colony right of of kryptonians at at one point yeah Uh, which which is a nice a nice little subtle layer 
to the mythos. Yeah, I like that. And uh, this is obviously pre-Kara landing because mm-hmm. when he goes after other Kryptonians, it's actually the, the bottled city of Kandor that yep. he tries to melt with his heat vision because he doesn't mm-hmm. like... <laughs> well, he's It's almost like the Phantom Zone has driven him mad. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, Honestly, yeah. the biggest thing here is obviously they eventually, you know, get rid of him. They throw him back in the Phantom Zone or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. the trick him, Batman like takes the Phantom Zone projector once he's back out into the fortress, and he puts the tech into the floor so it's not actually in the projector itself, and then that mm-hmm. tricks him, and Jack Sawyer goes back to the Phantom Zone. But there's a big, there's a big splash page of like the the statue of his parents, you know, Superman's parents crumbling, crumbling. Yeah, yeah. that's good stuff. Um, um, it's all just really fun. Like, yeah, I like too that at the end here after they get Jack Sawyer back in the Phantom Zone. Superman's like, oh, I don't know how much I could do the rope dope much longer, right? So he was letting Jaxer, you know, think that he was getting the upper hand. Um, but he still agrees. Like, Batman's like, yeah, but you still need to learn how to fight, man. Just in case, like, you come across somebody. Uh, so so I like that Batman's kind of the person. It's, kind of like, Yeah, it's kind of training for Zod in a way, because that, that's always the mm-hmm. argument, is that Superman's had his powers since, well, at least since puberty. And... Right. Like, he's never had to learn how to properly fight tactically mm-hmm. because he's never had, like, he's always had this upper hand that, you know, right. just by his strength and stuff. So it's like, no, you have to learn how to actually fight and, like, mm-hmm. be able to dodge and take hits and know yeah. your limits and things like that. So, yeah, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, obviously, they, they captured the Riddler, who has been used as a puppet and all the rest of it. But the big thing at the end of this show, which I was not expecting, is they tease that these sort of basically there was these little fluctuations in the phantom zone walls these little mm-hmm. portals that were opening which is how jackster was able to do all this stuff right and it turns out that some mysterious hooded figure with a device was in the phantom zone causing these these little ripples and then he disappears mm-hmm. during the course of the issue and that's when the ripples stop so they deduced that it was probably him that was causing them so who is he and what did what did he want like what's he up to and I was surprised when we get to the end, we get this little epilogue of this this figure saying, uh, you know, that this place is horrible. This uh, Phantom Zone's a purgatory, and you know, someday they'll all be released. It, it says to be continued in Action Comics in twenty twenty four. I was not expecting mm-hmm. this to be setting up something for the Action Comics book. Uh, no, assuming, me it's, assuming it's still Johnson uh, writing that book right, when, when this story right. comes up, I don't know if it will be, but um, yeah, the, interesting. The, the clothing seems like it seems familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because this guy's giving me Time Trapper vibes from the Legion. Um, okay, more yeah. like a, a purple hooded cloak that you could see his face. Yeah, this is a green and white stripes with uh, like a gold cape, effectively. Yeah. Like a gold cape, and he's holding like this this orb type thing that's kind of that's kind of like metal, like spun into each other, so it creates almost like a metal type ball thing. But he says his name is Aether the Messiah, um, and yeah, I don't know. No, 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 no. There's some. Oh no, 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 no says, sorry, sorry. I was yeah. going to say no. He says I, not Aether the Messiah, but no, he says mm-hmm. not I, not Aether the Messiah. So you're right. Yeah, right. his name. <laughs> and so yeah, and he doesn't like the idea of the Phantom Zone. So whoever this guy is. Right, and he's creepy, man. He just he feels like a phantom, uh, and not like in the phantom zone way, but just like, um, so yeah. Prop, props to Wade for adding a bit of creepiness. Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting that they've obviously got mm-hmm. some things mapped out that they're seeding mm-hmm. something in a two-part backstory 
setting up like the first time Superman and Batman met, that there's a seed yeah. in there for an action comic storyline coming next year. Um, I just think that's interesting. I wonder mm-hmm. if it is still Johnson or whoever's planned to be writing it yeah. when that time comes, then have they worked with Wade here? Is it Wade himself taking a bit of time on action next right? year? I don't know, but it's curious. Uh, uh, next time on this book, we're doing some Kingdom Come stuff, so yeah, we'll uh, see back to Boy Thunder and you know the boy who would be Magog. Yeah, he's just Magog now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Magog? So, Is it Magog yeah. or Magog? I don't know. I think we could say either or because I've never heard it in like I've never heard it. I've only read it. Okay, so I'll yeah. say Magog. Majog. No. It's a hard G. Majog. Like <laughs> it's not Jeff, it's Gif. Shut your mouth. It, no, it, it's Gif. But some people say it's actually Jeff because it's graphical. Right? That's what the G's short for. Or, yeah, man, or gra- graphic starts with a hard G. Right. Right. I say Gif too, but some people say Jeff. <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying. And they're wrong. All of them. Right. Majog. <laughs> 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 all right well <laughs> uh oh, i was gonna say so the art the yeah. art's pretty solid it's just nice yeah. and you know it's got it's got the flatness got the silver age look to it mm-hmm. uh nice big bold colors i mean honestly i feel bad for it because it's really good art but like this week there's a lot of good art so it's it's kind of paling in comparison a little bit but well, it, yeah, it really fits spoiled. it fits the old school vibe the the book's going for for sure mm-hmm. uh some good action layouts there's a lot of like uh Superman and Jack Seward, like, hitting each other through the sky, and when they're in the fortress, hitting into the statues and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's quite good. So, uh, I particularly like when Jack Seward's kneeing Superman in the face, you can see Superman's, like, cheeks sort of, like, bunched up yep. as it's hitting him. It's a nice yeah. little detail. Full-on V-trigger there. <laughs> this is a V-trigger, you're right. Uh, all right, what are you yeah. rating World's Finest, Matt? I'm going to give it 7.5. Um... Yeah, I think 7.5 sounds right to me. I'll agree mm-hmm. with that. Uh, Alright. Uh, Titans, issue 3. Tom Taylor writing with Nicholas Scott on the R. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're dealing with the, the Church of Blood, but the Church of Eternity now, as, right. they, as they're saying. Uh, <laughs> with, with a few bad seeds. Uh, you well, know. the issue starts with uh, Beast Boy as a bat <laughs> flying in yep. uh, and then letting Dick in. And they're basically here just to do some recon and just figure out, like, are they actually up to something bad? Mm-hmm. And there's some interesting banter between them in this first couple of pages. I really like how, like, hey, we're here to see if they're if they're bad guys or not and whatever. And there's some entertaining exchanges. But right at the end of that page, they hear chanting saying, all for mm-hmm. you, all for you. And Beast Boy's like, hey, let's not judge anything before we see what's going on. Chanting's not inherently <laughs> evil. And then yeah. you turn the page and the the cult are about to sacrifice a woman and they're saying, Trigon, we offer you this. <laughs> and I, I, I got a good laugh out of that. I thought that was quite funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so. no, that was a good one. Um, here, here's my thing too. Have we ever seen Beast Boy turn into a swarm of bees before? Because I, I always seen them turn into one bee or an ant. So is this a new thing he can do or is this just, you know, creative liberties being taken? Yeah, I... I was a little confused by it. I thought he had like a bunch of like nanobots like with him mm-hmm. that were in. But then, yeah, it does seem like it is just him that's turning into swarm. Yeah. Uh, which, which again, I don't. It doesn't change the outcome of the issue at all. It's just one of those things that longtime Teen Titans and Titans reader, you know, 
if Beast Boy's turned into a bug, it's it's singular. It's not the entire swarm. Yeah. So the, yeah, the question becomes know. is like if he can do a swarm of bugs, can he do like ten elephants? Right. Since but mass do doesn't herd. seem because mass doesn't seem to be the issue because he could be kind of right. turned into something that's much bigger than him. So mm-hmm. yeah, there there is like a logical question there that I guess maybe could be because he, he goes from a bat into these bees into a mouse into are they spiders or ants and they're ants uh, yeah yeah so but you know it, it's just to get them in because he you know it makes for a fun moment where the guy that's doing security is covered in ants uh and it's you know he's trying to knock them off but it's yeah. beast boy so anyway so, they, they jump out and save the woman and mm-hmm. all the cult members start getting into the big pool of blood because the blood from the pool gives them like enhanced strength. So we yeah. get this insane visual of all these guys in their boxers all just dripping red blood. Yep. Uh, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, Fighting a gorilla beast boy in, in Nightwing, which, come on. That's, so yeah. this, this is right up my alley. So they call in the Titans. Uh, Wally's not supposed to go because they believe he's going to be murdered in the next 48 hours. But Wally's like, yeah. nah, screw that. I'm a hero. I'm, not, I'm going. Yeah. Uh, so sure enough, they all go. Uh, and this is a little payoff, actually, because they boom tube in, and earlier mm-hmm. on, Gar was like, hey, why did we just use the boom tube? And he's like, yeah. because it makes a loud noise, Gar, yeah. <laughs> and we're trying to be stealthy. We're, we're trying to be stealthy, and then the boom tube arrives, and he's like, oh, now I know what you're saying about stealth. Yeah, like, but I, what I love about it is he's an alligator when he says yeah, that, so it just yeah. adds an extra layer of absurdity to the, yes. the moment. Uh, so, in walks... Uh, Garth, Tempest. Uh, Tempest, yeah. And he's like, what's going on here? And he actually teams up with the Titans, uh, and they fight all the cult members. They eventually yeah. knock them all down. And out walks... Or no, they go back back into the, 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 the dungeon area, yeah. and there's their leader, Brother Eternity. And basically, it turns out that this was... The rest of the cult weren't happy with the new direction that the, the cult mm-hmm. was going in. And Eternity's like... No, 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 no. Like, we are trying to make the world a better place. Tempest is helping, you know, make the world a better place. We we are good. This wasn't us. This was them. Like, they tied me up and they were going to do this because they weren't happy that we weren't just mm-hmm. worshipping Trigon. So it sets up that maybe they're good. Obviously, by the end of the issue, we, we see otherwise. But it's just enough to maybe, okay, maybe the Titans will stay off their back just slightly. However, mm-hmm. Wally the sneaky bugger, uh, stole a meteor that they had hooked up to a machine in the mm-hmm. back of the church. And when Brother Eternity discovers this, he's very upset about it, and he tells Tempest he's going to have to go. And he refers to everything that happened in the church tonight as a ruse to throw the Titans off. So this was all mm-hmm. put on for their their benefit. Um, and it's like, okay, so why is Tempest working with them then? And then the final page is Brother Eternity opening his mouth and Garth is opening his mouth and these bug tentacle things are going from his mouth into his. They're basically doing like a like a body snatchers style yep. thing here. And it's gross, it's wonderful, I like it. <laughs> yeah, and so the the meteor right so when when we learned about the fire right that with the starfire i think it's issue one or two mm-hmm. right there was something about you know her ties to to tamarin i'm wondering if this body snatcher thing is going to tie into into to starfire and that whole whole thing because she seems very concerned about the meteor right when yeah. it looks you know it, it pushes into her eyes 
you know when she says it's a meteor yeah it's, it's so... very intense on her eyes yeah <laughs> I, yeah I, I was wondering if like, this meteor actually brought these like mind control bug things yeah uh, to earth like if, if mm-hmm. that we're doing like a sort of i won't say venom but you know uh no you know well, no, it is very Body Snatchers, right? Yeah, like, Body Snatchers right? is the best comparison, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably um, more reversible, I assume, because, you know, yeah, we're going to have not, Tempest back. I, well, well, maybe I, not. I, honestly, if DC yeah. were going to give give Tom the okay to kill someone, Tempest, honestly, would probably be on the list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's kind of expendable, you know. He is, we, he is. We, we have other Aqua characters, you know, right now. Oh, um, God. They should totally do a team-up book called The Expendables, <clears throat> but unlike the movie The Expendables, it's all the yeah. characters that DC would let the writers kill off. <laughs> oh, my God. And put Rosenberg on that one, because he's, <laughs> he's good at killing characters. It would um, be, but, I mean, what, in theory, I suppose that's what Suicide Squad's supposed to be, but it's not actually that. But we, but we never, like... Yeah. And those characters we never care about. Give me give me an expendable. Like, I would care if Garth was in that book, and, and he does die. It would be Tempest. Right? It would maybe be, like... I don't know. Roy Harper. I believe they'd let them kill Roth Roy, ha- Roy mm, Harper. I mean, they've done it before. They have done it before. Yeah. Um, maybe. Since they've got a new Wonder Girl who's Diana's daughter, maybe yeah. they could put in Yara. Maybe they'll let people kill her off. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I could just see a team of, like, these characters yeah. might actually die <laughs> because yeah. they're expendable. But anyway. <laughs> so, um, I, I do like the whole ruse, right? Because I feel like, like Taylor hooked us with the ruse, too, that, like, thought this was just going to be you know the church of blood and trigon and, and raven but now you're throwing a kind of body snatchery element onto it uh that to subvert expectations um yeah uh, also we got that nice line of when garth comes in um uh, beast boy is like yeah your new friends suck mm-hmm. like it's just he has the voice in the you know their uh interactions down very very well um, i think a thematic touch that i quite like is that because it's a cult and cults are known for manipulating and controlling their mm-hmm. members and like persuading them of things mm-hmm. um i like the idea that this thematically ties to that base more literal like this brother eternity is literally yeah. controlling them uh with this alien beastie thing yeah whatever it is so it, it makes me feel icky too like there's the spiky kind of it's almost like a like a centipede kind of vibe. Oh, you love it. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> no, I do it. not. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and obviously, Nicholas Scott is it's, Nicholas Scott. Yeah. It uh, is. We do, it's, we're, we're spoiled on this one. Yeah, we do have uh, time to finish by, so I'm going to rush us along here a little bit. Yes. But uh, what are you rating Titans issue three? I'm going to give Titans issue three a solid eight. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Titan. I think it's a good book. I think it sets up where we're going. I like the the subversion that no, they are they are mm-hmm. still villains, but they're not doing the same thing as before. There's something else at play here. Yeah, there's a there's yep. a third party, an entity that's involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, so you read Hot Girl issue three, yes. uh, by Jadzia Axelrod and Amanke mm-hmm. Nihilpin. So uh, if you want to quickly give us a bit of thoughts on yeah, that, yeah. So just broad strokes is um. Uh, Galaxy and, and Hot Girl go into Gotham where they were going to head in from the last issue because uh, they're teaming up with Batman because Batman has some some information about Vol- whatever her name is the the the, the Fox villain um, and so while while they're there um, they run into um, Barbara's friend um, what's her name I'm going to try to get back to that page uh, she's she's walking through Gotham. Uh, I think it's, is it Alicia? Yeah. Um, 
and these this this gang that are fans of of Killer Croc go to attack her. They're called the Croc Block. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, don't gloss and, over that. The croc blocks are great, there. <laughs> it is, and so they're attacking her. Uh, Alicia is talking about how she's the you know the head cook at this place. She's on the phone, and then a image like Batman comes over the setting sun, and one of the members of the croc block goes, "Who are you?" And Hot Girl slams in and goes, "I'm Batman," and it's done in like the word bubble is taking the form of the bat, and it's all bold. I'm gonna imagine she's yelling it like Christian Bale. Um, just for my own guilty pleasure. Um, but yeah, so so Galaxy and Argus, her Corgi, and uh, and Kendra all, you know, take these guys out, save Alicia. Um, Batman finds out that one of these guys that he knows from the, you know, the rich guy realm, uh, whose name is Farlane, uh, where is it? Farlane Kander. Um, he wants Bruce to sit on the, or Bruce wants him to sit, or hold on, let me read it. I read this today. Um, he, oh, he wants Bruce to sit on this board so he can, you know, pump up the value of his company. Um, and Bruce notices on the, on his desk, there's what looks like nth metal, right? So Bruce is letting her know this, um, you know, uh, Kendra starts realizing like, there's almost like multiple timelines at play because Fairlane's uh, assistant, Ava Diaz, died, but nobody else besides Kendra remembers. Um, so Batman's like, well, let's let's pay a visit because I saw his assistant. She was alive. So uh, it's Vulpicula, by the way. Um, so they crash this kit together that Vulpicula and uh, Farlane are having uh, only for him to recruit the... Uh, Court of Owls and their talons. So as a ploy um, to, to run for power in Gotham and protection, uh, he ends up getting the talons and they get super nerfed here because, uh, you know, we've seen the talons almost like the Bat family. But here, Galaxy, Batman and Hot Girl are able to hold their own against the whole army of them. Um, Kendra takes uh, takes a couple of them up to like... Uh, Far enough that enough G's are going to uh, pass them out. Because while they might be basically indestructible and they'll heal, they still need to breathe. And the the G's will, you know, cause enough uh, issues with the brain that they'll shut off for time. Uh, so she stoops back down. Vulpicula stabs uh, uh, Fairlane with that piece of uh, Kendra's wing that she stole from the last episode. And he becomes this gigantic owl beast. Um very, very similar to one of the, the creatures that we saw in the last issue. Um, he starts attacking her. They're flying up and around. And Kendra starts having like this almost uh, identity crisis where he starts telling her, you know, like, you're, you're nothing but a fake. You're not the real hot woman, right? You're barely a hot girl. Um, you're nothing. And that's where Kendra goes off. It's like, you don't even know me. I've stood against all these other people that are trying to tell me who I am. Nobody can tell me who I am. Your opinion doesn't matter. And she slips and calls him Carter. So it seems like Kendra's having some issues here hmm. with, with Hawkman. Um, she also says that, you know, she had Zoriel, a little angel, look me in the eyes and tell me that I was someone else. Um, and so, yeah, um, 
So she ends up like savagely beating Fairlane in this owl uh, form to to where uh, as as she's beating him and yelling, you know, it's just like, I don't need you, Carter. He dissolves into dust um, as he's saying, who's Carter? Um, so Batman and Galaxy end up having this, you know, conversation about his whole Bat mystique and Galaxy actually makes Batman smile just because of their whole like their entire vibe is just this bubbly super talkative and goes hey you know what you do belong here um and kendra mentions to to galaxy like wow batman said more than two words to you he used three he must actually like you um so uh the the issue ends with kendra going to meet uh, her friend abilene from the beginning um and also, uh, my, you know, I, I love your definition of broad strokes. <laughs> yeah, just real quick. Um, <laughs> and that uh, it ends with Volpicula back in uh, in uh, Metropolis saying, like, uh, before this is over, I'll raise Metropolis to the ground. Um, and it says, next to she, Dragon Slayer. Um, so, yeah. Um, the, I, I just mainly wanted to get to the point of it that the... Kendra having an identity crisis during it, I think, seems to be the biggest thing that comes out of this, is that she doesn't know... You know, she's tired of people telling her who she is. She's going to figure it out, and through three issues, I feel like that's where it's going to go. We also get the uh, Galaxy kind of confirms that Nth Metal isn't from our... Uh, isn't from our dimension, because nothing matches its unique, you know, vibrational frequency and stuff, so... Um, Art by uh, Nahopin is, is solid. All the action sequences are good. Uh, and the writing's really coming in of its own from Axelrod. So uh, I'll give it a solid seven. Okay. Uh, the Vigil issue four, Ram V rating with Sid Caution and Dev Par- Paramenic on mm-hmm. the R. So the last issue raised this very big, bold idea that the team were all part of the Doctor's creation like he mm-hmm. thought them up somehow and this issue's job was to explain that basically uh and it did a pretty good job of that if anything the real critique i have here is that we only have one issue left and i feel like it yeah. just introduced a whole interesting idea that could be like a whole series but all right theoretically this could have been an arc in a bigger story yeah absolutely maybe yeah. maybe there's hope for a sequel series yes. or something but uh, we'll see. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it starts off with the introduction to the uh, to the kid, who's like very yep. he's got cold, dead eyes, and like sort of sees decisions ahead and can figure things out. That's his whole yep. thing. Uh, but when we come to present day, the doctor explains his backstory, and he's actually from further back in time. He's from like the forties, mm-hmm. uh, but typically, particularly he was like with other scientists, and they were part of the Philadelphia experiment. And when the ship disappeared the ship in philadelphia mm-hmm. uh, and then came back six minutes later they were on that ship they're the ones who turned on their fancy experiment but they yeah. never came back they were actually stranded somewhere else somewhere like mm-hmm. another dimension effectively and yeah. it turns out that they went to a place where they could will ideas into existence and they would try to will ideas onto earth and it kind of worked. Like, so there's three mm-hmm. of them. Like, so we got a doctor, and then we've got two other characters. A woman who was dating the third character, the guy mm-hmm. uh, who turns out to be something of a villain. He effectively turns out to be the villain of the whole book. He's yep. the one who 
And this, do you know what's so good about this? Is that this kind of, all of a sudden, it makes sense in retrospect. Their entire thing is like finding technology and devices they don't think the yeah. world should have. Because this turns into this egomaniac, this villain, has been willing his ideas onto Earth. But when he first tried to do it, he would try like, oh, it's a sky fortress and it's like the 60s. Yeah. And it would basically exist for a second and then disappear. Because... Right. It was too much for the world to believe. The idea was too much. And mm-hmm. what they, they realized is that you have to nudge people forward. So you have to like make them believe in like the genesis of something and then they'll believe the next thing because that won't seem as outlandish uh-huh. and so on and so forth. And then it quickly gets to the point where this guy willed into existence the nuclear bomb, the nuclear mm-hmm. fission, fusion, uh, nuclear reactors this all came from this guy willing these ideas into existence right. from this St- other stuff dimension that was because because part of it was it was stuff that they were already thinking about right yeah yeah and so he was able to just like you said give it that nudge just to put it a little bit over uh, and this guy's also the villain that was introduced in the last issue that is you know the the subsidiary of luther Corps. Um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's him so he's he's made it out of this realm just like our doctor did um, and he's, you know, I'm sure profiting or, yeah. or whatever. It's, and it's taken it. him much longer because he didn't care. Yep. He was more concerned about playing God. And right. the woman who was there with them was originally dating him, but over right. their years in this dimension, she actually ended up switching to the doctor mm-hmm. because they were both recognizing this, this, you know, egomaniacs like mm-hmm. path and what he was doing. Yep. Uh, so the doctor basically realize that if if he does if they figure out a way to get back to earth that he would need backup to fight the creations that his mm-hmm. old partner is, is is making these technologies that are going to lead the world to this place where he's the one in charge where he's the one mm-hmm. ruling it uh so that's why he made the vigil that's why he thought up of all he thought up all these people and it kind of makes sense that in this world that these people with superpowers aren't too far-fetched for the world to believe exists because it's the DC universe. It's the world with Superman and and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman and stuff. And he even tells them how they're going to respond to this news, right? Uh, Well, that's not not him. That's the kid. Oh, that's the kid. That's right. right. Because the kid steps in and says, you're all going to respond this way, but in mm. the end, you're all going to realize that we have to fight this fight. We all have to like band together good. and stop yeah. this guy. But the final little twist is that when the kid's alone with the doctor, he turns and says, I'm not one of yours. I'm one of his. And it's like, holy shit, that's such a good little reveal. And it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, that only makes sense because of all the context that this issue spent the entire time mm-hmm. setting up which yeah, is that cause... they were in this world where they could make ideas on earth and mm-hmm. the other guy is trying to build the earth in his creation so he's making all these technologies he's trying to inch everything forward to mm-hmm. whatever he sees as the the future of the world and mm-hmm. the doctor with the vigil are stopping all these bits of technology as best they can and that's what they've been doing since the first time they showed up in detective comics right? they were stopping a piece of technology that existed mm-hmm. so i i can't yeah. believe that madman ram v has has given me an explanation here that justifies everything they've been doing since the first time they appeared yeah. the mad bastard yes he, he, uh, he you know he's going to that realm that that's that's the only explanation 
This is, you know, him explaining where he gets his powers from. So the the whole idea of the kid, right, being of of the the main villain's idea, it fits in because that guy is very, very much believes in like this cold and calculating view of technology. Well, yeah, uh, which kind is of, very much what this know, kid is. Is he's very cold very and can see the outcomes yep. and make predictions right. and stuff. Yeah. Because his introduction is there's these kids bullying this dog, and he just throws a rock and kills the dog, which is very sad for me as, as a dog person, right? But it was this whole idea of the greater good was they were going to torture that dog, so I had to put it out of its misery before it could get to that. And it's this very kind of dark, but it makes sense, and it kind of troubles the doctor. You can tell that he talks about it. Yeah. And so knowing that he came from the other guy, you look back at that scene, and it all clicks you know yeah but it also kind of works in this way where so the doctor then convinces him that yeah but you could have done something mm-hmm. else and he's like yeah after the, the kids then beat me up i realized right. i should have thrown the rocks at them but right. then you realize that that's also futile because it eventually just hit you harder it would spread mm-hmm. it would keep going and you almost get the feeling like if the doctor can convince the bad guy's creation that mm-hmm. To him, if he can convince this kid, no, this is the greater good and we have to work against this, it's maybe a sign that in some level, maybe someday you can convince the bad guy. If you can convince the yep. bad guy's creation, who logically this kid has worked out that they should work for the greater good, then maybe the bad guy one day can be brought back down to reality. Maybe one day they can convince him, oh, like the path you're leading is all on is just effectively killing the dog it's not it's not mm-hmm. actually going to solve the, all the problems you think it is uh so you know so that, that learning experience for this kid uh and the doc being there to kind of like push him in a certain direction but yeah mm-hmm. all, they're all pissed about it. even the the guy who like funds their operation he's one of his yeah. creations he basically made a creation who could fund all of their yeah. <laughs> their antics which is kind of funny to me uh but no this this has turned into a very interesting mythology uh this this team and this this character uh and it, it's 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 fun because when he's talking about uh like all the different characters and who they are uh mm-hmm. like where, where is it here uh he's like so i thought of dynamo the man who felt no pain and could you know uh, regenerate his body endlessly i thought of arclight who could whose skin could conduct uh, vast amounts of electrical energy um like it just it feels like there's something bigger being crafted here with this miniseries that mm-hmm. I really hope we get some sort of follow up to because I I can't imagine it's all going to be neatly wrapped up in one more issue. No, it does feel like one of those things that he could put these characters out into the world and other creatives could could play with them. But if these characters also showed up in his next whatever that he's doing, you know, in addition to detective, I wouldn't be surprised either. Cause this, they fit very in with his whole concept yeah. of, of ideas and beliefs from Swamp Thing. I mean, so. he, he just uh, signed an exclusive DC contract. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible. That part of that contract was that he gets to use these characters mm-hmm. either in a sequel, or maybe this is all prelude to them being a big part of, like you say, a new, book that's you know it's headlined by another big character but mm-hmm. they become the supporting cast in it or maybe even the villains in it depending on how right what the story is so mm-hmm. uh i think that's i think that's really interesting actually uh, but, you're, but you're right this idea of ideas it's been in swamp thing it's been in his detective and it's obviously here so uh really fascinating uh so yeah art's good uh yeah. not exceptional by any means um no. obviously the artist has changed a couple times on this book 
Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least changed and changed back. I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and check the names of the previous. But this yeah. was dev. This was definitely a different art team than the previous issue. Yeah, it's not Sumit Kumar. Yeah. Um, who has been doing it? So yeah. I don't think it was him on the last issue either. I think he. No. I, think, I think they've been gone a couple of issues now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really really fun stuff that was making my brain kind of go i was really like you know i read this almost last then it was like hitting me with all these big ideas and i'm like oh jesus this is this is super interesting uh but that is uh that is the vigil what were you rating the vigil Matt, out of 10? uh 8.5 yeah uh I, th- I think i agree with that the ideas are just super interesting uh mm-hmm. so 8.5 for me as well so that is on to the final book, which is a book from last week, which came out on the Saturday digitally, so we left it for this week, and that is Batman Gargoyle of Gotham, issue one, by Raphael Grampa. And so this is a, an early days Batman story. It's set about a year after he, he mm-hmm. became Batman. And it's very much Batman who's still in his grim and gritty phase, who one of the big plot points of this issue is that he's actively planning on killing off Bruce Wayne, as far as the public are concerned. Yeah, Batman's going to kill Bruce Wayne, so that's all he can exist. And I was like, sir, let me tell you what, that's a bad idea. Uh, Zurinar, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but of course, uh, this is not doing Zurinar stuff. This this is no. tapping into that classic, Alfred wants to keep Bruce Wayne alive because he, yeah. he sees the value in Bruce Wayne and that Bruce, you know, right. him actually respecting his parents' past and who he is is important to Alfred. Uh, yeah, he needs the tether to humanity, and yeah. that is Bruce Wayne. So, yeah, I quite enjoyed this. I, I think um, I don't like the look of the back cowl in this. I will oh, say that. Thank God. Yeah. Me too. It's very, it's it's too broad and, and angular at the same time. Yeah. Like, it's very weird. It gives Superman, or Superman, jeez. Um, I'm looking at covers as we talk. It's giving Batman, like, alien eyes, like the big almond, and I just, uh, but the rest of the art, uh, like, all the human faces Yeah, good, look great. really good, yeah. The yeah. villain especially, uh and we don't necessarily know who the main villain is yet, but we have, mm-hmm. like, a, a, a prominent villain in this issue. Uh, so, Batman, the issue starts with Batman's tracked down a serial killer, or at least yeah. something connected to serial killings, to this this uh, criminal building, which is actually a TNT, an illegal TNT, like, factory. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this villain, who's a, this guy who's obsessed with this old children's cartoon, it looks like an old Warner Brothers cartoon or something like that, uh-huh. Um but he's he looks very creepy. When we first see him, he's like he's sitting in front of like a projector, watching these old cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not necessarily the serial killer, or at the very least, his anything he does here doesn't match the the murder scenes that we no. find out about later. Um, so we have that kind of seven style murder scene like thing going on throughout, where Gordon goes to a yeah. crime scene and there's this body that's lying naked and it's got all these puncture holes in it. Right. Uh, all that and stuff line, lining up with like acupuncture stuff too so like yeah. the person's getting stabbed in the back of the head but they don't die instantly they end up suffocating but they can't move it's all very dark and grim like it matches kind of batman's um like his whole grim and gritty at the same time yeah yeah uh so but yeah like when batman goes to find this this villain watching the cartoons like he basically sees a bunch of the like the the criminals that were working for him, like they're, they're, they've been killed. They've got like hammers sticking out of their heads. It's, you know, it says that the front page clearly says this is a seventeen plus book, and it is, yeah, you know, it is quite violent, yes, and, and bloody. Uh, I did love the panel of Batman doing the classic, like holding the cape up in front mm-hmm. of the the screen, you know, the, the in the front of the movie that's been projected. Yep. Oh, that looked great. You know, looks good. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, uh, so they have a, a bit of a fight, and this TNT plant uh, blows up. 
So that's the whole thing. So we're introduced yeah. to Gordon, and he's looking at the crime scenes and stuff. And the book from this point on basically goes down a couple of paths where um, Gordon is looking in to... What was fun? So Batman's so, Batman's looking yeah. in to uh, this this guy who's obsessed with the cartoons. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Gordon's looking in to the patients of this doctor who worked at Arkham. Uh, he was like a child psychologist who worked at yep. Arkham because that ties into the case as well. So he's looking into cartoons. that. Yeah. Yep. So they're both looking down these different avenues, and this this cartoon based villain also. Like goes after this producer who bought all of the old. I mean, we don't realize who he is in the scene. It's not until the next scene right. when Alfred tries to buy all the stuff that belonged to this guy who made these cartoons mm-hmm. that we find out that oh, that's the this is this producer guy that the killer was torturing. Uh, right. I, I shouldn't say the killer because it may not be the actual killer, right? But the cartoon He's, guy, the cartoon guy, yeah, who's who's very everything in shadow. Very very dark and inky. Um, yeah yeah. And and yeah so so uh, Bruce sends Alfred to go talk to the the wife of the the cartoonist, and then she she reveals to Alfred like yeah well no I I sold everything to this other guy, and then you realize that that was the producer and he has all the rights to these cartoons. Yeah so. and there's a little tease here as well that the cartoon was banned and stopped being mm-hmm. shown because of a violent thing that happened at school. And she doesn't go yep. into it. She's like, oh, no. you're a fan. You must know. And Alfred can't, like, break his cover. So yeah. he just kind of goes, yeah, yeah of course. the headlights. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like school desk with blood on it and yeah. this, like, quick little panel. And it's like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. what the hell happened? So there's all this going on. So Gordon's, like, trying to talk to the old cellmate of, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the, the guy who was behind some of this. Um, um, and then Batman's looking into the, the 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 cartoon villain guy, and he ends up at this factory which is full of all these like old like plushies and like stuffed toys of these old mm-hmm. cartoons. It's like the warehouse that the producer owns, and you know the the cartoon villain like you know jumps out and uh like we we get again more fighting, we get a car chase mm-hmm. here. Uh, I, I won't go into it too much, but there's a whole thing here where Batman's been working on this version of the Batmobile, and it's got no windows, it's all cameras and. It does. Some it's fancy. got the blind. It's kind of like the blind box or something. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. It's super fancy. Ends up saving a guy that the villain throws off a, a bridge. Mm-hmm. So it, it, again, there's a lot of good action stuff in the art, which is yep. which is good. Um. So yeah, but when basically, so the name we get, uh, Doctor Charles Quinton, who is connected to like one of the crime scenes, I think, because that's where his name came from. Uh, mm-hmm. Gordon's investigating him at Arkham and basically says look let me look at your records because if you, if another body turns up dead we're going to blame you and the press for not helping us investigate it so the big cliffhanger of the issue from the garden side of the plot is that bruce wayne was treated by this doctor uh that's the big thing we end on as batman is fighting mm-hmm. the uh the cartoon villain guy mm-hmm. uh, separately so um like I've, I've sort of rushed through that because we have to wrap up quite quickly yeah. so i'm sort of rushing through this one a little bit but uh I, like i've not explained it very well but i wanted i, I do want to compliment it for being quite intricate and in how it's like, yes. like like it sets up two threads that batman and garden both go and follow independently alfred's mm-hmm. even getting involved in following one of them and the way they're all kind of bouncing off of each other there is a genuine mystery of it is like okay like maybe this cartoon villain is the person who did something violent at school once upon a time maybe mm-hmm. he's not maybe he's the killer but the crime right. scenes say it's not him so who is the killer 
Like it's like you know those. Right, those... and and the killer, the the stuff that's happening with with the the serial killers that's killing rich people. So there's this rich yes. versus poor divide. There's another character that gets introduced of she. Um, She's not quite a reporter, but you know, yeah, she's she, like a social media journalist, a or social media like that. person, and yeah. and you know, she puts out this big anti-rich diatribe, and now the rich are, are you know bleeding everybody dry. So it's about time someone's bleeding the rich dry, and it's like you can't print that. She's like, I already did. It's already out there in the wild uh, and stuff. And then, um, so yeah, it, it's a very intricate story. Um, the with, with the art, which I, I mostly like, except for. Uh, Batman and the and the Cape and Cal. Yeah, yeah, so. that's that's the only thing I like about that as well. I yeah. think it, it's it's a good murder mystery detective story, but also it's doing stuff with Batman as a character of him, like because obviously his arc by the end of this is going to be that he has to keep Bruce Wayne alive, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. he he keeps saying to Alfred, "Stop calling me Bruce. Start getting used to calling me Batman." Uh, Bruce yeah. Wayne's dead after I'm done with this case, like just all this stuff. Like that's clearly mm-hmm. an arc that they're building up for him. Um, and now you've introduced this thing where now Garden's got a reason to go look at Bruce Wayne as yep. one of the potential uh, people involved. It wouldn't surprise me as well if all the victims are on this list. Maybe they're all yep. people who were treated by this this psychologist. That or the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that all makes uh, some some sense. So, uh, yeah, very good. So we kind of rushed it a little bit. So apologies if yep. the details were a little bit murky. But uh, it's a really entertaining book. What are you, what are you giving yes. Gargoyle of Gotham, uh, Matt? I'm going to give it a 8. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think it's an 8. I, I think I'd probably go another half point if I liked how Batman's cowl yes, and face looked in the, the, the costume. But otherwise, mm-hmm. it's got a very good aesthetic overall, mm-hmm. I would say. So, uh, very good. So, uh, that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week favorite panel slash moment, favorite cover. Uh, favorite art and top five mm-hmm. books so matt what is your panel slash moment of the uh, week? for the sake of brevity uh, it's gonna be wonder woman's appearance in wonder woman uh the first time we see her in that uh cemetery in the snow it looks great i mean it's hard to argue with that one to be honest mm-hmm. mainly because it's built up throughout the entire issue so mm-hmm. it feels like a big deal when it happens so i'm going to agree with that i know you don't like when we have the same one but yeah uh today it's okay <laughs> but i'm taking it because it is, it is yep. the moment of the week it absolutely yep. is uh all right best cover of the week uh, there's a few options there's a there's mm-hmm. a dan mora nightwing cover which is quite nice with nightwing in the rain yep. uh there's a titans variant by mike diodoto jr which looks mm-hmm. quite cool um vigil's got a pretty solid cover uh, but I think my pick, honestly, is just the regular Wonder Woman cover uh, by Sam Pierre. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really nice. It, again, it's got the white background, so all of the colors pop. Uh, you got the red stars behind her as well. It just looks really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, uh, mine's Nightwing. It's the Nightwing falling into like the octopus squid creature in okay. the tentacles. Uh, he's he's in his normal colors. Everything else is white, gray, beige. So just it really pops. It's like he's falling into madness. Yeah. Uh, so best art of the week. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is actually quite a a competitive week, shall we say? It is. On you go. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go with Montos for Green Lantern War Journal. Oh um, good pick. Yep. Good pick. Uh, took, took me by surprise. Uh but shouts shouts to Sam Pierre on Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, Sam Pierre's an obvious contender, Montos I agree is a contender. Yeah, it's between those two really, and which mm-hmm. is surprising because you've got a Nicholas Scott book. 
Yeah. And a Stephen Byrne book and a Travis Moore book. Like, there's a lot of good art this week. And Grandpa's art. I think if it wasn't for Batman's head, yeah. <laughs> like Grandpa's art may actually be the winner for me. But because mm-hmm. of Batman's head, I think I'm going to give it to Sam Pierre. Uh, but it is close between that and Montos. Uh, again, I was also pleasantly surprised by mm-hmm. Montos. Uh, so, um, all right. So, top five books. Anika? All right. So, number one is going to be Wonder Woman. Number two is going to be Green Lantern War Journal. Three is going to be Titans. Four is going to be Nightwing. And five is going to be, if I can remember all of my things, I'll give five to Superman. Okay, uh, number one for me is also Wonder Woman. Number two is also Green Lantern War Journal. <laughs> uh, number three, then, uh, it's a bit tougher after that point. Uh, mm-hmm. I might go with The Vigil. And then number four, I'll go with Gargoyle of Gotham. And then number five, oh, uh, I'll go Titans. I'll go Titans over, over Nightwing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so that is our, our top five of the week. I will tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics. We have Detective Comics 1074. Mm-hmm. We have Action Comics 1057. We have Green Arrow issue four. Oh, I can't wait for that train wreck. Uh, we have the it's Flash. Only issue four. Yeah, we have the Flash issue one. So get a new run on the Flash to check out, yep. which is cool. We have Harley Quinn 32. Batman Brave and the Bold issue 5, and I do believe this has the next part of the Tom King Garrett story, so we'll mm-hmm. definitely be looking at that story. Uh, we have Doom Patrol issue 6, Batman Catwoman the Gotham War Red Hood issue 1, Tales of the Titans issue 3, we have The Penguin issue 2, we have Power Girl issue 1, Spirit World issue 5, Batman Beyond Neo Gothic issue 3, and Wildcats issue 11. So a pretty healthy week again. Yep. Uh, again, a couple of number ones. Um, not that I think I'll bother with Power Girl. I'm sure you might give it a, yep. a look, though. Yep. Definitely uh, read that. But I'm looking forward to Flash, and mm. uh, obviously action and tech are usually a good time. So, And Penguin obviously had a really good first issue as well. Tom King's kind of firing on all cylinders right now, so... Uh, we'll see how all that shapes up. But that is what's coming next time. Thank you very much for joining us. This has been uh, episode 374 of Comics from the Multiverse. Apologies for the slightly rushed ending, but we had a, we had an yes. end time. Mask, uh, yeah. was, it, was it the end and, and I, blew, I blew past it. We're in overtime. Yeah. This is like Brett versus uh, HBK. <laughs> so... Yeah. Is this the end laws you're going to see for dinner or something? Yes. Yeah. Well, for lunch. For yes. lunch, okay. So, uh, yeah. So blame Matt's in-laws for a slightly it, it rushed is, ending. Please. Uh, but that, <laughs> that is the show. Uh, you can support everything over at patreon.com slash TV, and you can, of course, uh, just support us simply by liking, subscribing, sharing the show, rating us on iTunes with a, with a good rating, that is, not, not a bad rating. Uh, but all those things do help it a lot. And we will see you next time. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. Thank you.